Are you here all by yourself? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. What would you do if your parents accidentally left you home alone? Well, how about shopping? Shaving? Crowbars up. This is my house. I have to defend it. And good old-fashioned crime fighting. Home Alone. Critics are calling it the funniest movie of 1990. Ready PG. Now playing at a theater near you. Funniest movie of 1990, Tyler. Duh. Welcome back to the show, guys. I'm Angela Yoshiko, your host of Old Millennials Remember Movies, here with my co-host, Tyler Wilson. Hi, everybody. How are you tonight, Tyler? Oh, I'm just in the festive holiday holiday mood is what I'm in. Ho, ho, ho. We're rocking into Home Alone, a a, a, a staple in the household. A staple? Yeah. I thought you were going to say a classic, but then you diverted away from classic and went with staple. Afraid to call it a classic, are you? We can get into that later. Oh. It's a little tease, isn't it? It's a little bit of a tease. Yeah. Teasing you. Yeah. So, uh, welcome uh, back. Here we are. We're talking about some movies and shows. Uh, we're going to kick off with what we've been watching recently. Yeah. You uh, bought a great movie, and finally, I finally was in the zone to want to watch it. Won't you be my neighbor? Yes. I think I talked about this in the summer on one of our shows. Gosh. If we do our homework, we'd actually know what we're doing here. Yes. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I picked up the DVD right when it came out, but we hadn't watched it and. You know, definitely one of those you want to be in the right mood for. Or, in some cases, I would say it's a movie that if you were in kind of a bad place, you could watch it and maybe make you feel better. Although, maybe you feel differently. I would say that I watched it last night. A couple nights ago. Are you sure? Was it two nights ago? I don't know. God, when was that? Two nights ago. Two nights ago. Because last night we watched Home Alone. That's right. <laughs> okay, the night before we watched... Uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Won't You Be My Neighbor. And, uh, yeah, no, uh, I wasn't in a great place. I had just spent the day kind of being a, a shitty mom is what it felt like. I yelling at the kids a little bit more than usual. Mm. So then to watch uh, this movie that's all about, like, loving children and <laughs> the feelings kids have, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> It was a really, really, really good movie, though. Um, Mr. Rogers had such a long career before we old millennials actually saw him, but I feel like a lot of us have pretty fond memories of him, at least, you know, those that I've talked to. You do. Yeah, I... It's funny. I saw this in the theater. I think I mentioned that I was basically, like, just a wreck the whole time watching it because I was, uh, you know, weeping and all this other... Because it is that type of movie. It has these moments that are... um, Emotional, if you have any kind of connection to Mister Rogers' neighborhood, or if you have a soul, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> True, there's some. Just the, the way he connects with children is so unique, but also it makes the most sense in the world when you see it. You're just like, oh yeah, you could totally tell why he's able to connect with them because he just talks to them and he understands them and uh, interacts with them the way that a kid would kind of want to be talked to. Mm-hmm. And so it was watching it the second time. I was just just it was magnetic again i just i couldn't keep my eyes off the screen just because it it one i think it's it's a really well-made uh documentary but on the other just seeing the footage to me it just it 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 captures me in a way that i i it just feels like i was like a kid watching it and when i saw it the first time and Mm -hmm. even though there's clips in there that i have not seen some of it is very familiar things that we've seen in reruns or things that they've shown in like retrospectives before so to me it's just like 
it's like a little piercing little bullet into your soul every time it comes on and he starts talking and then it's populated with some really good talking heads from family and friends and coworkers and kind of cultural experts for the lack of better terms. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's just a, uh, yeah, an incredible piece that it's very personal to me why I like it so much because mm-hmm. I do feel like I was like a, a product of Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. time. I mean, I just, I watched it as a little kid and um, it feels like comforting to me even now, like even though I'm too old for it, it feels comfortable. So. Yeah. I liked um They, they talked about how Mr. Rogers used um, time and space and silence and was very comfortable with that uncomfortable silence, both with like kids and adults to really just like let the silence speak and kind of just sit with a moment and mm-hmm. slow down. And I think even especially now, it's nice to kind of think about just like slowing down and really thinking about what you're doing and being really present and giving, you know, we have four little kids. So really just considering their development and giving them space and silence and not feeling like we have to fill every minute with activities and noise and, you know, high energy things. It's kind of, you know, nice to get that permission to for Mr. Rogers to be like, you know, it's important to just like slow down and enjoy the slowness of things. It's incredible because like <laughs> if you think about it, even like recent in recent years, Sesame Street has gone from an hour program to 30 minutes citing like it's just the nature of children's programming to be shorter, to shorter attention spans. And even Sesame Street, which still does a good job of like slowing the, you know, there's there's quieter moments of Sesame Street and things that are meant to kind of be a little bit more introspective for a kid but i think just that alone is a is just a a, a product of where we are even when we were when mr rogers i mean mr rogers has been gone for a while uh so the things that he was complaining about for television stretches back decades and it's only really gotten noisier really i think the movie also i wouldn't necessarily spoil it for anybody who wants to watch it but it ends on this incredible sequence of what like of the power of silence people are there's at the end of the movie. There's people that are not talking, uh, which I think is uh, I, I, I give saying it would be kind of giving away like kind of the ultimate message of the movie. But I love that. It's mm-hmm. it's an amazing um, little bit of just simple storytelling through. I think it's just it, watching it again. It's just a really well made documentary. Yes, and not just because the subject matter of Mister Rogers is mm-hmm. you know interesting, but I think the way that they actually filmed that documentary and inserted some um animation even a little bit mm-hmm. was good i i was yeah, this time i was really trying to divorce my emotions from it a little bit to kind of see like well is this because this was i think when i saw it saw it the first time so this is my favorite movie of the year so far so to me it was important to kind of try to divorce the emotional response to it to see you know how i felt about the actual kind of making of it and i yeah i like the juxtaposition of like archival footage with interviews and like older clips and newer clips of fred rogers it's it's really really good and it, it's made by the same director who made uh 20 seconds or 20 feet from stardom who won an oscar for that movie and so i mean it, it, yeah it's just it's 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 nicely made it's not just uh my response to it i think but it's a hit i mean this is a movie that for a documentary it like has made good money mm-hmm. like it's been very successful i'm glad i'm happy about that mm-hmm. people so if you haven't seen it, it out Go out and rent it. You can rent it. It's available to, yeah. to rent. I don't know if it's yeah. streaming anywhere yet, but you can certainly rent it for a couple bucks, so you should. A movie that is streaming that you watched this week is a little movie called Roma. 
Yes. It is a black and white movie. Yes, this foreign is- film. And and it's like you told me you were like, Oh, this movie is so good. So good with like a black and white and foreign. I was like, Ah, Jesus, you know like I'm an old millennial, right? I don't want to watch a black and white movie. I don't want to watch a foreign film. So just tell me why I should. Well, I was real excited about that because this is the movie that has been kind of buzzed about all for several months now. It's been to festivals. It is playing in some some theaters in bigger cities, and it will be kind of in the conversation for all these award things. So for it to come out on Netflix is strange because <laughs> of just because of what it is. But I was I'm just so happy. I right when it was available on Friday, I I made time. Basically, our child fell asleep on me. I was like, perfect. I can put my headphones on and I can watch this, uh, at least part of it. Um, so it's by Alfonso Cuarón, who is the director of Children of Men and Gravity and E2 Mama Tambien, which is not a movie that you love, but you are a fan of Children of Men and his mm-hmm. other. I think Gravity has been his last movie, and he won an Oscar for that. And it is black and white. It is in Spanish. It is a very personal, small story of a family who, like a kind of a middle upper class family in Mexico in like the seventies, and it follows kind of their um, nanny uh, slash kind of um, maid who is with the family the whole time. It's kind of her story, and it's. Uh, I mean, I know I like I, I said I was like when I texted you, I think I finished it. And I was like, it's so good, and she, and I was like, what is it? I was like, it's Roma. It's in black and white, and it's in Spanish, and it's about like a little family, and there's like there's not like a heavy plot. You're just like, okay, it's just so good. The black and white is is gorgeous. It is some of the most beautiful uh, just footage I've seen filmed this way. It is just everything about it is. I, I know it's. I know people are our age, especially and younger, are just like anti-black and white. But yes, yes, I am. Oh, it's so gorgeous, though. Like it's it's beautiful. It's like people like beautiful like pictures that are in black and white. Like they think that those are great. People have their Instagram filter. They're always putting black and white photos on. This is like the reason why people do it. It's so gorgeous. And uh, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. It's it's amazing. It's just a really uh, engrossing movie about this character and. She's like a newcomer actress. She's very good. Uh, like anything of his movies, there's just these incredible shots that are built around like seemingly small action that build and build. There's these long tracking shots through cityscapes. The sound design is uh, not a lot of music, but it's just like I'm glad I had like headphones on and I was blasting it because there's just sound coming from all over. It's really it's just engrossing. If you let yourself kind of be wrapped up in it, it's it's just amazing. You do have to like focus in on it though you can't turn it on and be on your phone you need to kind of stick with it the opening sequence is just this uh she's mopping the floor of this garage and it, the first few minutes is the credit sequence there's credit titles going over it but it's just the water moving along the floor and then you can kind of see things in the reflection uh oh my god it's so good but if you're like tuning out on that and you, you're you're already putting yourself at a disadvantage if you start just drifting because you're gonna lose the the hook of it because what it builds to I think is it, it makes it matters like I don't know it's so good it's so good <laughs> it's incredible okay. so I need to watch it you should watch it okay but yeah it's I know that's hard for you because it's like oh it's nine thirty let me go turn on the Spanish language <laughs> black and white movie uh, yeah I if it was in the theater I think a lot more people would just be if you saw it in the movie theater, you would. I think you would love it. Oh. I mean, just if you, because without just no 
risk of distraction and letting the big screen fill you up. And do I have to watch it all in one sitting? I don't know if you do. I did. I mm-hmm. I couldn't. I didn't want to stop. I kind of had to pause it a couple times just because of issues. Could I watch but... it like on my lunch break? I don't know. <laughs> Over like two or three days? Maybe. Or would it not be as good? Like I think like Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is on Netflix, you could totally, totally, I mean, I think it's better together, but I mean, that's more of an easier movie to kind of break apart. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, I'd watch it again. Okay. So that was Roma. It yeah. is playing on Netflix. It is. So go good. If it's it. in the theater, though, where you live, you should go. I would. If it was in the theater here, I'd go see it. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so those are the two like newer 2018 things that we've... Oh, you saw another one called The Favorite. I did. I did get to go to the theater to see this. Uh, right. This is this uh, period uh, kind of story of the Queen Anne and these two people who are kind of jockeying for her uh, favor. favorite, it's called. I'm kind of mad that you went and saw it because I did see the trailer a few times and I really wanted to see it because it has... Emma Stone and what's her name? Rachel Weisz, and then Olivia Coleman plays the queen. And I will watch Emma Stone in anything. Yeah, and it's a real different. It's a different role for her. It is using your knowledge and uh, familiarity of kind of the Emma Stone persona mm-hmm. to its advantage, but it's a very different role, which I thought was uh, quite cool to mm-hmm. see her do something like that. Um, I was worried because I, you know, right in the trailer you hear her doing like this British accent. You're like, all right, can we really do like easy A Emma Stone? Can we throw ourselves into this? But yeah, I think she's really good. Um, all three of the actresses are really good. It's from Yorgos Lanthimos. You saw The Lobster, mm, and that's his that. movie. Yep. His other one after that, so he's made some other movies, but it was The Lobster, which we both saw and really liked. And then he made, I think, was it just already last year? It was the kill, the killing of a sacred deer which is Colin Farrell and Nicole Kidman. And I watched that, and I did not love it. It was a really tough movie for me to kind of get into. I kind of, I know what it was doing, but it was, I just, it wasn't, it wasn't working for me. It didn't click the way The Lobster does. This one is kind of, you can tell it's the same director in terms of just like the tone and the depravity of it a little bit, but it's also very different. Like, I think it wasn't, he didn't write this one, which is, I think, key to kind of, noticing the difference between this movie and his others it's shot in a really kind of different way everything is like low angles you, you can tell this in the trailer i think the trailer actually i saw the trailer a lot which is for every time i'd see a movie the trailer for this was on but the trailer is a good two minute example of what the movie is like it probably the maybe that's a good thing maybe that's a bad thing if you're watching a movie maybe you'll just kind of like oh i've seen the movie but and i guess that's kind of true but it I would just say, that, like, in terms of tone, it tells you exactly what kind of movie it is and what it's doing. Mm-hmm. It's just doing it, you know, more of that. And so, yeah, if you like the trailer for it, I think you really like the movie. Um, well, I did. So yeah. now I have to wait forever till it comes out. Well, yeah. So that was the favorite. It's good, though. Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz and that other person. Crushing it. I mean, I rewatched Won't You Be My Neighbor. I watched Roma. I watched The Favorite. That's a good week for movie going for me. Big, good week for you. It was very good. Today we watched uh, Elf. Yeah, we turned that on for the kids. With Will Ferrell. And what is hilarious about this is that even just bringing it up... Our seven-year-old, Marion, is like, I don't want to watch it because I don't like the beginning part. The two minutes of the little baby in the orphanage. Little baby in the orphanage who crawls into Santa's bag is very disturbing to her. She doesn't like that one. This baby's in what? What the fuck is an orphanage? She, I don't, that's, don't like that that's idea. The trouble. She doesn't understand like where the parent like. She's she, like, where are the parents? What do you mean she, they're in this like group home with no parents? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't. I don't. 
It just she doesn't like it. Doesn't like it. And then she doesn't like that the baby like I don't know if in her mind the baby's kidnapped or stolen or <laughs> just running crib. away. Yeah. I guess the like I mean in the movie we're going to talk about today, Home Alone, that is like a I think a primal childhood fear that you're going to be you're going to be left alone or you're going to be separated from your parents and that's really scary. We so. did not watch Home Alone. We didn't she did not watch Home Alone. She did not watch Home because, Alone. Cuz probably because we know that she can't handle the first minute of Elf. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's and it's so short. It 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 jumps into the movie so fast. Like Will Ferrell is on screen really quickly. Yeah, like it's just quick. And so she was hiding behind the couch while we played this first minute. Yeah, and to the point where I was like, it was already over that part, and I was like, hey, uh, the, the, you can come out. Like Will Ferrell's on screen now. You can yeah. come on out. Yeah. Um, but then she likes the movie a lot, which is funny. But it's uh, so fun to watch these movies with kids just to see like what they pick up and what they remember. I asked. Uh, our five-year-old Elliot, like, oh, what was your favorite part of the movie? And as I was tugging him in tonight, and he said, oh, all of it, which is a typical answer for him because he yeah. doesn't like to, like, actually put forth effort to fucking remember anything. Sure. Like, don't put me on the spot. I'll just give you this general answer. So I was like, yeah. oh, my favorite part was when uh, he decorated the store with all the Christmas stuff. And he was quiet for a while, and then he goes, yeah. And then, like, the dad just kept knocking it down. Why did he do that? Oh, like the dad in the house. The yeah. dad in the house with all the snowflakes and stuff. <laughs> I was like, that's the, that's, that's your question? Okay. Yeah, it is, um, I, th- I think they watched it last year. Yeah. Um, so that, I mean, yeah, obviously, cause Marion has this bad <laughs> connection with the beginning, but, uh, yeah, it, th- this is one that we, I mean, we started watching, I mean, we saw this. This technically is, a year past our general old millennials remember movies timeline it's 2003 mm-hmm. so it wouldn't necessarily be like an episode unless we got real desperate um <laughs> but like we saw this in like college like yeah. together like yeah that was hilarious because it was like peak of will ferrell powers totally. um yeah so to go what i find about it is that it it to me holds up as a pretty funny will ferrell movie but it also is this weird like Christmas kids movie. <laughs> yes, but is it for kids? It is enough. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there's a little bit of there's a few things about it that, that aren't, but it's not it, it's not dirty or any you know anything like that. I I would say Home Alone is more inappropriate for kids than than uh, than Elf. My favorite part of of Elf, it's still it's the same every time I watch it. I love it so much. Is at the end, it's just a little thing, but I like how when the TV reporter is on the scene in Central Park. Like, the way that, that she's, like, all these extra details that are just in the movie for no real reason. This is, like, her first week on the job there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's from Buffalo. Like, she's a reporter in Buffalo. The main anchor, who I think is a real guy, because uh, I'm not from New York, I don't know. But uh, he's just like, oh, we're going to toss it down to What's-Her-Face for the first first big news story. Like, <laughs> I don't know. And then it's like, I don't know what they do down in. I don't know if this counts as big news down in Buffalo or up in Buffalo, but it's around here. And then it just kind of trails off. Yeah. And then there's like this uh, Matt Walsh who's from like Veep and stuff like that. He's the guy. He's one of the guys being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And he keeps interrupting her questions. It's just like, I just think you're great. Like, <laughs> it's like your eyes tell the story. Like, it's just all these extra little details of uh of just like her, her little moment, I love it. It's like this this little extra bit of comedy in the movie that I just I enjoy. Is it because you love making fun of local news casters? Maybe, but like it's, she's not she's good. It's not like she's like bad a bad report. Like she's mm-hmm. depicted as being very um, capable. It's just mm-hmm. that everything else about about her is either being like 
distract like disrupted or like condescended to <laughs> which i just find to be very funny you're such a dork i i like it a lot it's weird seeing zoe de chanel 15 years ago yeah she's so i made the comment that she seems so little and i think that in my mind i don't know she's, she's just in an elf she's, costume half and the she's, time. <laughs> she's young she's still younger. so much younger it's 15 years ago uh-huh. you know uh she's got like the blonde blonde hair yeah so that throws throws me off it, I have it's weird just because we were we both really liked New Girl her show and it's over now but it's weird to see her in anything mm-hmm. not New Girl mm-hmm. and that was a show that wasn't made for her like comedic sensibilities anyway yeah so it's just even this is it's in her wheelhouse for sure she's good in the movie she sings and all this other stuff but it is still weird because I'm just like oh, that's New Girl that's Jess where's uh, Schmidt mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like I where's Nick that's the problem I that, I mean I, I I like her I worry that like she's never gonna do anything else because she's so good at that mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you never know mm-hmm. so that's what we've been watching yeah Christmassy stuff like Elf Christmassy stuff and Roma <laughs> and Roma <laughs> I've just been watching my normal terrible uh, TV shows blasted through the last season of. Um, the hundred, which they're down to how many people now? Twenty-two. Well, you know they come and go. Uh-huh. There's probably like seven of the original hundred left. But who? Okay, but are there? Are is it a scenario? I have never seen the show. Is it a scenario where there's always like a hundred? Like if there's like a hundred and one, whoa, someone's got to go. Or is it like just a like a general number? Or is it like <laughs> it's called the hundred because they're out in space, mm-hmm. right? It's like end of the world. The world's blowing up, apocalyptic stuff. So they're out in space, and there are different spaceships out in space, and then they want to go see if um, Earth is inhabitable, or habitable, whatever the word is. So they send down 100, like, kids down to Earth. So the 100 CW is the first 100. Yeah, teen, teenagers. Teenagers. Teen 20-year-olds. Yeah. Gotcha. And that was five seasons ago, so they're not really teenagers anymore. So, but then there's other people, like... Uh, there's the rest of the people that were in the spaceships. They come down. They There's other, like, people that are sir, have survived that are on Earth already. And Desmond, he's on the show. Yeah. From Lost. That's the only thing I know about the show. And yeah. April O'Neil from The Turtles. She's on the show. She is the doctor, the main character's mom. Mm-hmm. And then yes. And then Desmond. That's all I know about the show. Yes. Um, again, it just really makes me ask the question to myself, like, why the obsession with these teen dramas? What's wrong with me? I don't know. It's What's the CW happening? stuff. You'll, I thought you were only watching because Desmond and April O'Neil was on it, but apparently no, they're not. They're like the sub-characters. How, like how is secondary. Desmond? He shouldn't be a sub-character, first of all. He got kicked. Like, they kicked him off Scandal, though. I don't understand this business. I know, and I think he just signed on for another show, so he's he's told people that he's gonna do both but his character was almost on the brink of death on this season so they like clearly gave the option of like you can survive or you can not survive so who knows if he'll be back for the next season it's not penny's boat i know such a okay so talking about desmond he's a character from lost if you're not following not penny's boat (laughs) and uh speaking of lost would you go back and watch lost again i have I've gone through it before, yeah. so I would again, yes. Yeah. I like it. I even, I'm, what are you talking about? I'm a guy who, like, defends this all, the, even the last season of Lost, so. I know. But this is not an episode about Lost. Nope. We should do, well, there's probably, like, how many podcasts are there have been in, on Lost? I used to listen to the, that was probably the first podcast I listened to back when the creators of Lost, the showrunners, would do, like, a weekly thing on, like, yeah. they'd tease you, and they'd read, like, fan theories and be like, mm, that might be true, and I think they're probably jotting down ideas yes. to, like, put in the show, but. I love fan theories. Yeah. 
But it was fun. I mean, I, I think yes. people forget about Lost was that people get so frustrated with it, right? Like, didn't it fell apart? But like the fun of watching it, because I watched it when it was on. The fun was theorizing, like mm-hmm. you, like the the fun of it was the mystery. Like the solution is not really was not was never the point. The, no. the fun of it was to like, oh, what's gonna happen now? Mm-hmm. You know that like it just like it's the same as like Scandal and those other like Shonda Rhimes shows. Those shows are ridiculous, but it's the fun of the. I'm, I haven't, I don't watch those shows, but it's the fun of the, the things that happen. The guessing and the right. theorizing. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not reality. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. There are a lot of good reality shows out there, though. Okay. So I'm told. We don't really watch a lot of reality TV other than, like, MasterChef. I like those cooking ones. Yeah. It's a thing in America that we, we do more watching cooking than doing cooking. We definitely do. We I don't know. know how to cook. It's kind of embarrassing. Uh, you'd think we'd have learned something by now. No. Although today, I got to say, we were watching an episode of Master Chef, <laughs> and I was helping our little one eat, and then here comes a little bowl of soup and some chicken, and you would put in like uh, you put some pepper on the front of the top of the the soup, which is not uncommon. But then you put a little dabble of like sprinkle cheese right in the middle, yeah, sprinkle cheese, and then it was like the pepper was like around it in an interesting design kind of maybe by accident i don't know but it, it just seemed like it seemed fancy it made it taste better because oh, it I, seemed fancy oh yeah i plated that motherfucker yeah you did plate that yeah you know it it's pretty good that that soup that i poured out of a box you heated it up <laughs> okay speaking of feeding yourself and being responsible as an adult what i love about the trailer that we started out with as we're now transitioning into the feature film for Home Podcast, Alone. For Home Alone. Let's, let's talk about Home Alone. There we go. That's a transition. We're talking about Home Alone. What I love about the trailer is it's like, imagine if your parents left you home alone. This was a trailer specifically aimed at kids. Oh, yeah. That's not... A, I feel like that's not a common thing that we've we've seen in the well, trailers we've watched. So far. Okay. This is... Pro- so this is probably the biggest movie we've done so far. Twister was our first episode. It was bad audio. It doesn't count. But... <laughs> But I think this was even a bigger box office hit. So this is this is the big leagues. We're really talking about like a real phenomenon of a movie here. So we gotta we gotta tread carefully because this is obviously beloved by people, right? I guess <laughs> it's beloved by you. Yeah, we can get into that. You yeah. get into my history of uh, of Home Alone. Oh, we can't. Not yet. Okay. We have to do something first. Okay. What's that? What do you remember? Okay. So during the What Do You Remember segment, we mm-hmm. um, read what we wrote before we wa- rewatch the movie. You give it, we give it those 30 seconds before the movie starts to kind of just yes. write down what we recall. And now I'm typically on a laptop, so I bang it out real quick. And then Tyler's on his little phone, and I'm like, hurry up, Tyler. And he's like, I'm on my phone, tap, typing it out. That's right. Yes. And this is a little bit different because <laughs> this, is a, this, is a little, this is very much different than previous episodes in that... We're both fairly familiar with this movie, to the point where I certainly didn't need to watch it again in preparation of this podcast. I'm not even sure if you needed to watch this movie in preparation of this podcast. Uh, Did I fall asleep for the last 30 minutes of this movie? Yes. Does it matter? No. No, because that's like the the part everybody remembers anyway. Yes. No, you're Um, good. So I'll go first with what I remember. Here we go. Excuse me, I have an announcement. Well, since Tyler watches this practically every year, I remember more than other movies from back then. Kevin McAllister is left behind as his family and extended family gets on a plane to France for Christmas. Joe Pesci and City Slicker stake out the house beforehand and then plan to rob them and several empty houses during the holiday break. Kevin McAllister is too smart for them, though, and plans to protect their home with lots of awesome booby traps. Although I typed bobby traps. 
Just saying. He befriends an old neighbor, and his mom takes it, makes it home seconds before the rest of their family, even though she takes a crazy way home, including some John Candy ride-along action. I could go into a lot more detail. This is a definite classic. You gave me a ooh. Ah. Well, you were just talking about our, some John Candy riding action, and I was ride like, along, like they're riding along oh, okay. together. Sounded dirty the way you said it. <laughs> <laughs> it gave me pause. <laughs> Roll the tape. Did I say riding? That's just what I heard. It gave me pause. <laughs> that's all. I mean, that's a whole different movie. <laughs> okay. What do you remember, Tyler? I said this is what I wrote. I can basically recite this entire movie word for word. I saw this in the movie theater four times, including one time with my grandma Birdie, I think because I was nagging my parents to go again, and they were like, no, drag your grandma to it. We can't do it anymore. <laughs> like, we know you think you're Kevin McAllister. Yes, your haircut is the same. Stop doing the scream thing with your hands on your face. It's unnatural and obnoxious. <laughs> Listen. Listen. This movie was a phenomenon, in America, and it was a phenomenon in my house by me. You were six years old when this movie came out? Which seems young, right? Six years old. That's younger than Marion, and you said we wouldn't let her watch it. Yep. <laughs> you were six. Good job, Wilsons. <laughs> I don't think it's not... I, it's something that she certainly could watch. I just don't think that it was... The rest of the kids would really respond to it, and I don't think she'd care about it as much. It's not really up her... Up rally, and yes, that whole fear of abandonment that she seems to have—maybe not the best timing for her to watch it. But I guess for me, that's the part that blows my mind that I was six years old. But I know that I went to the theater and saw this multiple times, multiple times. I think four, including yeah. Okay, so obviously, my grandma Birdie, she'd go to a lot of movies when she'd come up and visit us. She mm -hmm. was not didn't live in our town. She would come up for eh, four or five times a year. My mom's mom, she's uh, passed away now, but she would go to. Uh, the movies with us a lot, and sometimes she would just take me to the movies. She famously took me in 1999 to see The Phantom Menace for the first time, like, the day it came out. I what? know. Isn't that weird? <laughs> like, I saw The Phantom Menace with my grandma, and she was just, like, completely baffled. I, I don't think she'd even seen Star Wars, let alone, like, <laughs> The Phantom Menace, which is not, not, not exactly the movie that holds up <laughs> at any point in the Star no. Wars canon. Oh, my God. I do remember that at that point she was already kind of doing her humming talking during the movie. Oh, mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think especially in movies that she did not uh, understand was like this, this nonsense. Like there's I remember like the end of The Phantom Menace where like those robots are fighting those uh, Jar Jar Binks people. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, <laughs> like she's just like she was too, she's tuned out of the movie at this point. She was like. But I remember that. Like, she would just kind of be humming along to something else while the movie was playing. So I don't think she was doing that at Home Alone. Uh, but she took me, and I, you know, I don't... You know what's crazy? Is mm. thinking about how old do you think your grandma was? Like, when you remember this memory, is she, like, an old... She's old. Well, yeah. Like, my grandparents, they always... They look the same to me. They have looked the same yeah. to me. And now they're all gone except for one. But and if I look at pictures of them, like toward the end, they look significantly older than pictures of them before. But the memory to me is always like my grandma Bertie looked like that, and she's mm -hmm. looked like that forever. But yeah, she was probably like in 1990. She's like your mom's age right now. Yeah, and that blows my mind because my mom to me doesn't look. My mom just looks like my mom still. Yeah, she just, she looks a little older, but it's not like yeah, it's not like a grandma. So thing. imagine your mom taking Marion to Home Alone. <laughs> 
that's that's what you're the, my mom would her. take me take her to home alone she'd take her to anything <laughs> but um yeah i just the fact that like i guess i can't imagine like some six-year-old kid and their grandma watching home alone right now <laughs> now the other movie that you remember seeing with her i think is <laughs> another christmas movie we went and saw bad santa did you were you with us at that point? This was like two thousand three, two thousand four. I feel like I remember watching it at your house with her. Oh yeah, we all went to like for like whatever it was Thanksgiving or whenever she was there. We saw Bad Santa, which was like just the fil- filthy. It's hard mm-hmm. R movie, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my god, she was just like she seemed horrified <laughs> while we were watching it, but then. At the end of it, she was just like, that was really funny. Like, it blew my mind. <laughs> like, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, you want this movie to be funny? She's like, oh, it's so bad. But yeah, oh, man, it's so funny. Ha, ha, ha. Which just, the things you learn about your grandparents sometimes. But uh, They're real people. They're real people. But then Home Alone turned into this thing where, because apparently I loved it so much that it, we would watch it. Like, I remember, like, NBC would, like, Thanksgiving weekend, they'd, it was a tradition. They used to just run it every year, right? And we... We had the VHS. We would we would watch it every year on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. every single year. We went and saw. My mom took me to the sequel. Like two years later, I went. My brother. I forced my brother to take me to that a second time. Yeah, I was a Home Alone freak, man. Me and Kevin McAllister were like tight. You were six. I know. Crazy. That movie was budgeted to make uh, or was made for about eighteen million. Yeah. Um, opening weekend, it rocked in at 17 million, and then it grossed in the U.S. 285 million. Think of the legs on that. And then 533 million worldwide. Just the legs on that. Like, 285 million. So it opened what in mid-November? November 16th. So then that thing what made it 17 million every weekend for mm-hmm. through Christmas essentially, right? It just yes. became a phenomenon. Oh, look at me. I just jumped right into those high stats. Yeah, you did. Home Alone came out in 1990 on my birthday, November November 16th. Nice. (laughs) You almost got my birthday wrong, I felt like. I was going to say 60, but then I stopped because you were already saying (laughs) it. I know your birthday. I would hope so. I know your birthday. It it goes a little longer than the uh, 80s, 90s, 90-minute rule. Clocks in at an hour and 43 minutes. Yeah. Um, Yep. Rated PG. Not PG-13. It's rated PG for Pratt Falls violence and some language. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the movie, uh, Kevin McAllister is an eight-year-old boy, so two years older than you were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's the thing. Like, the more I think about this, it just seems like the time doesn't the timeline doesn't match. But apparently, I was just like a six-year-old going to see Home Alone because I definitely went to the theater. This is not a made-up memory. Oh no, I know your parents. Yeah. They definitely took you. There was like, it's a hit. You'll go. You'll go. <laughs> so were you in like kindergarten? I don't know. I'm just How old telling were you, you in kindergarten? I listen. I saw Home Alone a lot. We went to movies a lot, though. I mean, that was a thing that my mom especially would take me to the movies because she wanted to go and she would literally see anything. And so, yeah, it was just something that we. This was one of these that was like a big Ninja Turtles, which was like ninety as well. These were like the big. This was the big like cinema breakout for me, so to speak. What I liked about the Mr. Rogers movies, is Mr. Rogers movie we watched, Won't You Be My Neighbor, is as it was making fun of cartoons during that time period. It did throw in a little Ninja Turtle action. It sure does. And, I mean, it, it that movie is just, like, crushing on this idea that, like, kids don't need to watch slapstick violence all the time. And here's a whole movie, Home Alone, about it. Yep. <laughs> So what? We're we're gonna we get we'll get we're gonna get into it. But are we? 
Do we need to? Well, I think we need to talk about some of the things we like and 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 everything. And I, we watched some deleted scenes this time, which uh-huh. I thought was uh, fascinating. I've never watched those, despite owning this DVD for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot to unpack here. Mostly, but the part that I'm fascinated about Home Alone about is, like, I know why I loved it. Is it just, is it my experience? But, like... How did this become such a massive hit? It just seems crazy to me that this movie... Like, there's no way they even could have known that this was going to be this big of a smash hit, right? Well, you do have some star power in here. And I'm not talking just about the Culkin kid. He Well, he was uh, relatively unknown. Yeah, he was he in was. Uncle Buck and before that. And that's pretty much it. But you have some adults in here that uh, can carry a movie a little bit. I don't know, like box office draws. Joe Pesci. Sure. I mean, people know yeah. Joe Pesci. People yeah. know Daniel Stern. Yeah. They know John Hurd. They know Catherine O'Hara. I think this movie just hits that, like, fantasy of kids. Both the fantasy and the fear. So it's a really good, like, dichotomy of, like, I think, you know, Home Alone, even the title is very good. It's not some dumb title that doesn't say what it is. It's a mm-hmm. good title. So you're starting off there. Yep. And then as a kid, even as a six-year-old, there's that fantasy of, like, when you are left alone, you get to do all the things that you can't do when your parents are there. Mm-hmm. So you get to stay up late and watch TV. You get to eat special treats. You get to stay on your parents' bed. All that kind of fun stuff. And I think that's kind of a fantasy for kids. It must be. And then as you, as you played at the beginning, they, they definitely were targeting the whole campaign toward the kids. Mm-hmm. Like, come see this. But then, yeah, the adults get this. It is a good balance in terms of uh, it is a children's movie. It's directed at eight-year-olds especially, right? Mm-hmm. But it does give you these uh, – I mean, just having Joe Pesci at this point in his career especially, just like in this PG movie is so strange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that is a weird – thing yes. to see like yeah. well how's that gonna work almost like if you're you know if you're a raging bull fan yes <laughs> you know that's a that's a that's a that's a take uh-huh. and so i get that aspect of it but i mean it it's so fascinating because here's a movie that opens in this giant house it's a huge house it's a goddamn mansion. It's enormous, right? It's so huge. And it is filled with this family who they've got five kids, mm-hmm. but then Uncle Frank and his uh, kids and wife mm-hmm. are there too. That's another five kids. Are you? What are you doing? I got this heating pad. I'm just moving it. Don't mind me. Oh, okay. Taking that off. <laughs> yeah. So then Joe Pesci's right off the bat in the movie. He's posing as a cop. As anybody who saw the trailer knows, he's the bad guy. But he's Mm -hmm. here as a police officer at the front door. Mm -hmm. All these people are running around. We're trying to get the lay of the land. It's just mayhem. It it seems foreign to, like, how it, like... This movie has to do a lot in the first few minutes of, like, getting this world about Kevin being, like, already a cast-off, right? Mm -hmm. He's... And this was, we were just looking at some of the information on this. The actors that play his siblings, including Buzz, which we can talk about, uh, are all there. I think it's suggested that they're all different ages, but Kevin's the youngest. Yeah. But the actors that all, that played the four siblings, turns out they're all the same age at the same time. And people on the internet posited like maybe they were quadruplets. And that's why Kevin is even more feeling like the outcast in this family. He's like, there's four kids that were born. And then little Kevin comes around a couple years later. Like, that would make you feel a little isolated, I think. Like, five years later, if he's eight, those kids are, like, teenagers. Well, Buzz is, like, what, 13, maybe? 14? Yeah. That's kind of, like, the, the suggestion, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the the main takeaway 
of the McAllister family in general is like it's a family of assholes, right? Oh, a little bit. One hundred percent. Family of assholes. Mm-hmm. Right off the bat, we've got uh, Kevin in the kids' room and his parents' room. She's on the mom. Kathleen O'Hara is on the phone, and she's like, "I need you to get out of room. We're packing or something like that." And he's just like, "Get off the phone and make me. Why don't you?" I was like, "Oh my god! If my child said that to me." I'd be getting off the phone and I'd be like, we're taking you up to the height of bed with Fuller right now. We're not going to go through this whole thing. Take that phone and hit you in the ass with it. I don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the dad, he, John Hurd, RIP, but uh, he died just last year. Um, he seems a little out of it. He's not involved. He seems like, I don't want to be in this fucking movie. <laughs> That was your thought. He just seems like he's not hes not giving it his all, is what you're he's saying. He's just like, this is going to be a shitty movie. I should not have accepted this role. <laughs> that was kind of like the other thing of like IMDb facts. Or just like, there's a couple that were like, Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern didn't think much of this. So they just thought they'd play their parts big. I was like, I don't, those are little facts that I don't necessarily believe. No. But at the same time, it'd be like, if you were making this movie where like you're playing robbers getting like thwarted by like booby traps. I think you probably would be thinking like what am I doing? <laughs> Fuck what am I doing? And it wasn't like a high budgeted movie so it wasn't like they were getting paid a lot. Mm-mm. 18 million dollars was the budget like yeah. So Kevin's mouthy. Uh the ki- the parents look I understand. They've got five kids. You can't what are you going to do? I've got four. I can't give them all the attention either. But they're both working seemingly They've got to be making good money to live in this giant mansion of a house in Chicago stuff suburb, 20 minutes from the airport. Give me a break. These people must be loaded. They have to be. Mm-hmm. So then you meet all those other siblings. They're all assholes to Kevin. But then I was thinking about this. I was like, are they assholes or is Kevin just kind of the worst to the family? He's the worst. He's and- just like, oh, I don't have to pack a suitcase. <laughs> right. I mean, but I mean, I guess you're eight. You don't necessarily, I don't know. We make our kids pack suitcases. Figure it out. Get your clothes. If you want to wear clothes on this trip, yeah, figure it out. Yeah, I feel like the last couple vacations I've taken, they've actually each been responsible for their own little backpacks. And they want to take random things, but, you know, you learn. You learn. You go one trip to the coast with no shorts, so you're going to figure it oh, out. Oh, it looks like you brought plenty of pens, but not enough underwear. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a choice. Throw them in the sea and get them washed um, out. Is our youngest Marshall going to be like Kevin McAllister? Is it the baby of a family Well, he doesn't seem... He's not a big difference age-wise, though. This seems like there's a gap here. And then you meet Buzz, who's... I mean, okay, so Buzz is Uh, an asshole. I don't even want to talk about him. Buzz is a huge asshole. Yes. Uh, he's he's worse than uh, the usual. He's uh, actually one character in the movie that I think the movie would be better off just if that character was fully removed. Really? Yeah, I feel like it. he crosses the line of being an irritating character into just being an irritating character. But he does have, he's, he's, there's a couple of hints that he's dumb and that, so that makes it a little bit better. I don't care. Yeah. It's, he's not like a real person. He's playing like that. I'm a big fat bully, and, mm, and I make all these comments. Ooh, he's mm. fat. Oh, okay. All right. I mean, like a big bully. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he this he's the first I think use of like a shocking swear word in the movie. Whereas, like, because he wants to not Kevin doesn't want to stay in the hide bed with Fuller, cousin Fuller, because if he has anything to drink, he'll wet the bed. Uh, he's played by Kieran Culkin. Uh, so there you go. There's another Colkin in the movie, of course, because that Colkin family were just running around dominating Hollywood for a while. Uh, but then Buzz tells him, "Was like, I wouldn't let you stay in my room if you were growing on my ass." And if you're a kid, you're just like, "Whoa, this is shocking. You're a bad kid. You're swearing at me." Also, is is it just that like that? I mean, 
no offense to the actor. Is it just that he's just like his face is really offensive looking? <laughs> well, in the deleted scenes, there's some deleted scenes with Buzz, and I would say that they're cut for a reason because it's one that they're not great moments script wise, but he's not he's selling not the role very well. All. Yeah, I think what they get out of him in the movie is fine, but then you see some of his other stuff. Then again, some of the other stuff with uh, Macaulay Culkin's a little bit rough too. That got cut out of the movie. All this was fascinating, like just to see like they clearly got cut out of the movie. He's like well, the, the performance, like the scenes themselves are not much worse than any other scene in the movie. They don't seem superfluous. It's just the performances weren't quite there. No, it's just like. Macaulay Culkin couldn't get through the line without mumbling through a big stretch of it. Yeah. Because it was a kind of a big chunk of dialogue or whatever. And then, yeah, a couple with Buzz where he's just, like, so, not selling it very well. So do you think that the movie needs Buzz? You're on the, like, pro-Buzz fandom category over well, here. Well, I've always had a problem with... I think it's effective in the movie, though. Because he's... Kevin, despite being a dickhead, a mouthy little asshole... What he does to get in big trouble, he, I mean, his brother was being a dick to him. The whole incident revolves around this pizza. The pizza comes, uh, pizza character, we're going to talk about, but the pizza guy is my favorite character in the movie, by the way. Uh, the teenager that is the pizza guy. Um, but anyway, this pizza comes, Kevin only likes cheese pizza. And what does Buzz do before Kevin even gets into the room? And it's only been like, two, it's, we were positing maybe two minutes have gone by since Buzz gets in the kitchen to eat pizza, and when Kevin comes in to eat pizza... And Buzz has stuffed this entire cheese pizza down his gullet just so Kevin can't have a piece of cheese pizza. Now, number one, Kevin, like, you could just take off some sausage Just pull the fucking pepperoni off, But we Kevin. tell that to our kids, and they have a fucking problem with it, too. Jesus. No. Jesus the, Christ. Kids Figure are the it worst. Out. Pull, pick it off. Not a big deal. Oh, the little residue of the sausage would be there. No, shut up. It's just pull it off. If I pulled it off before you saw it, you wouldn't even have known. But come on, Buzz. Like, you ate a whole pizza just so your brother wouldn't eat it? That's stupid. And then he's like, oh, get Get a plate! Because he's going to Ralph it up, right? So rather than give him a plate, well, he starts throwing up, right? So no one's making a comment of, like, the throw-up mess or whatever. Like, how is that Kevin's fault? But can Kevin, I think, kind of hilariously, like, goes at his stomach <laughs> to, like, make the vomiting go go more? That seems like a bad move. Like, if someone's he's vomiting... He's not actually vomiting. He just has food in his mouth. He's just spitting it out He's going, mouth. oh, Kevin, He's just thinking, he's just being an asshole. Get a plate. Really? Yeah, he's not actually. Oh my god! All the all these years, you thought that guy was actually throwing up. I thought he's his not, face was convincing. No, he has just put a piece of pizza in his mouth, chewed it up, and said. And he makes the comment of the only way you're gonna get cheese pizza is if I throw it up and you can eat it. And no, he so, doesn't say that. He says yes, he does. He says someone. Oh, if you want to have any, someone's got to barf it all up because it's gone. Yes, so he says something. Oh. So you're saying I always thought that he was getting sick from eating all that pizza. No, he just had it in his mouth and he was just faking the throw up noises and then he was just spitting food out of his mouth. Chewed up food. Oh, that's still gross and obnoxious. You know what that kid needs? A fucking punch in the face. I'll tell you what it needs. It needs his fucking room destroyed. And you know what? Stay tuned. No, the room destroyed <laughs> is not enough. That kid needs kicked out of this movie. Well, he gets him right in the fucking stomach though which i appreciate and then poor fuller gets his uh, one of my least favorite close-up shots ever in film is getting that little fucking culkin kid smashed against the wall with that chair he gets kind of slightly crushed by the mm -hmm, by mm -hmm. the the chair i like that but then like everything gets spilled like in the it, they blame kevin for the milk mess but it's other people that have knocked over the milk it's not because they're fighting, I get it. They're fighting. But, like, the milk is knocked over from the hurried, like, reaction of this, right? And so that's when we find... I mean, this was a thing on the internet a few years ago. People have 
sleuthed out the whole the whole story of uh, Kevin getting left alone because we start seeing napkins of milk, milk riddled napkins get thrown in the trash, and in one of those shots you see a, a airplane ticket because the passports like kill the passports out. There's a ticket that says Kevin on the outside of it. Kevin's airline ticket got thrown out. Why is it just Kevin's airline ticket that's in the trash? Is that just something that like some film, someone like the script supervisor was like, you know what? Wouldn't they have noticed when they got to the airport that they needed a ticket? Like, we need to get a shot of just like a, a like. Well, why is this ticket separated? This goes into your theory of yeah, the whole movie, the internet's theory. Is it I your internet? I can't claim it is my oh, own. Oh, I thought it was your theory that I wish. the dad is deliberately trying to leave this kid at that home. The dad's a fucking asshole <laughs> and he's sabotaging this kid because he's like, fuck my youngest kid, Kevin McAllister. He's a shithead. Let's leave him behind. And I don't subscribe to this until the end, which we'll get to. I have concrete evidence to the relationship between uh, the dad and Kevin in the movie. But yeah, so then there's this shot, and so there's, okay, one plot thing removed. We've gotten rid of the ticket. But then we get the whole, like, okay, everybody's hold on, silent. hold on, hold on. Yeah. I gotta pause you there. So the Kevin's ticket getting thrown in the trash explains how no one caught the ticket piece. Right. How did no one catch the passport piece? Oh, right. Well, that's true. He would need a passport. And they made an, like, they made the whole scene about, like, ah, save the passports so they don't get milk on them. Right. So they have all the passports. Maybe he, yeah, I don't know. Does a kid, okay. So I will say this. There was a period when I was, um, I, I, this is so specific, though. There was a period where I went on t- on a on a boat to Mexico, and because I was underage, I didn't need a passport. So maybe there's a thing where if you're underage, there's an I don't know. But back in back then, I don't know. Maybe it's different because things are different now. We don't know. So maybe he doesn't need a passport because he's under he's a minor. I don't know. So maybe he doesn't have one. I didn't see 15 passports on that table. That's all I'm saying. I saw like enough for the adults, didn't you think? Or you think there's know. enough passports? I, I don't, don't know. know. We, we could really tell that we're big travelers outside the country. Well, I know that even babies have to get passports now. Well, now. Everything's different now, though. So I don't know. Maybe it was not Everything as difficult. is different now. It, well, this movie can't this movie can't happen in the modern age. Just the way that even the airport works would not work. Uh, I mean, that's you can't make Home Alone with the same plot in 2018. You can't make most movies the same. I know, but this is. I mean, this is just these are the. This is a prime example of that. Just a movie that it, it, the entire movie hinges on things that literally can't happen in this cult in this world anymore. Um, but you know, so then we get the big uh, Uncle Frank saying, "Look what you did, you little jerk!" And it's silent, and everybody's staring at him. And, you know, you feel a little bad for the kid. And then that's when the mom takes him up to the third floor. Well, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If um, we were hanging out yeah. and getting ready to go and my kids did something dumb and your brother was like, look what you did, you little jerk. I'd be like, fuck you for talking to my kid like that. You don't call your name calling my kid. You could tell him like what. I don't know. That seems aggressive. Well, Uncle Frank, we learn in the deleted scenes, is a pervert. So, uh, you know, look what you goes. did, you little jerk. I can't imagine saying that to my niece or nephew. I can't imagine how Buzz doesn't get in trouble for this incident in the first it's place. It's his fucking fault. Well, they're both fighting, and a little kid doesn't attack an older kid unless something's going on. Any parent knows that. These parents, they don't know what's going on with no, their kids. No, they're so they're removed. so oblivious. They well, the sequel, uh, they do address some of this because Buzz does do something terrible to Kevin in the sequel and they both get in trouble but Buzz is so good at 
talking his way out of it that uh he you know he he's able to smooth things over unlike Buzz, Kevin. that guy's a fucking dick who would believe anything that kid says well it doesn't it's not convincing in this in the movie because you're on Kevin's side, so it seems like a also, slick, oily car salesman. Have you thing. seen that kid's face? He looks a little big older, but yeah, I mean, yeah, he still looks like a fucker. Yeah, <laughs> that's why he was cast. But then, okay, so mom takes him up, and then he starts saying some real. Okay, he's understandably upset. He's getting sent away for the night, but he's just like, "I wish you guys didn't fucking exist. I want you guys to go away and leave me alone forever. Just go mm-hmm. away, disappear forever." Which is kind of a harsh thing to say. Yeah, he said, "Family sucks." He does, and then. Catherine O'Hara warns him. It's like, you know what? It'd be pretty sad if you woke up and you didn't have a family. Which, I mean, that's like a Freaky Friday, like, <laughs> say it again. Maybe it'll happen. So then the more you think about that, then if you, if you keep that part in mind, I think, it's, I think it's important because then you start to understand some of the logic of what Kevin does throughout the movie. Because he believes that he's made them disappear. Yes, that he wished them away somehow. Yeah. Because he's eight. And eight-year-olds can still believe in that kind of stuff. And I think as a stuff. and I think even as a kid, that's hard to watch the movie with that perspective because you're always seeing what the family's doing to try to get back. So you know that he didn't make them disappear. Mm-hmm. So there's no magic element going. But so it's easy to forget that. I mm-hmm. think so it's like, oh, he doesn't know that they, he doesn't know what had happened to them. He just disappeared. There's the cars gone. are still in the garage. They took a van. So, you know, just saying. Fuller doesn't go up there because he said he doesn't want to pee the bed. Mm-hmm. So, let's talk about how they leave Kevin, because it is an incredible amount of things that have to happen. Oh, God. Are we going to break down every scene in this movie? <laughs> I mean, I certainly can, because I know this movie very well. I know you do. I do. It's. I think it's fun to talk about this whole thing, because it's crazy. Because, I mean, we'll just do it real quick. There's a storm. They've got to get up. The plane, they need to leave the house at 8. There's a storm. The power goes out, knocking out the alarms. It's 1990. We don't have other things. Nope. Maybe there's people that have wa- Casio watches with a little beeper. And battery backup alarm clocks. But maybe they won't have it in the house. These richy riches These didn't have a... fucking rich assholes. Fucking rich people. They had something. They had a backup. So then no one out of 15 people, were they all, like, drinking last night? Why are they all... Like, no one got up a little bit early? No one was nervous about flying to France so they didn't get any sleep? Everybody slept in and didn't watch the time. Everybody, even like a little kid, would be like, "Don't we need to go?" This seems eight o'clock. Seems like, I mean, what time is it when they get up? It's like it's not eight. No, it is eight. They're like, it's like they're supposed to leave the house at eight and they wake up at eight. Mm-hmm. The fo- so a key detail is that the phone lines go down. A power guy, the phone line guy comes back around to say like, "Oh, your phones are going to be down for a couple of days." So that eliminates the whole like we're going to call the house because mm-hmm. we can't do that. They send up, they're trying to make these parents seem like they're not terrible, right? Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of this whole thing. They send the oldest daughter of one of them out to count everybody. The, the little Murphy kid comes over. He's being a dick. All these kids the are assholes. Kid. He's mm-hmm. rummaging through people's fucking uh, suitcases Luggage, and shit. Yeah. God, who the fuck is talking about going to Orlando, Florida? Like, get the fuck away, kid. That's one of my other favorite parts is the van driver. He's like, I don't know, kid, beat it. He like tells the kid to leave like, several times. It's so great. Yeah. Uh, so he gets a count. She counts his head, so he gets counted. Uh, because they're so late, they have to rush to the airport. Apparently, in 1990, the security was definitely less, but they get through security real fast. They leave the house. Uncle Frank says, I don't know how we're going to catch this plane. It leaves in 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. 45 minutes from like leaving from the airport? You did a Google search of where the actual house is, the yes, exterior house that was used in the movie. Yes. How far is it? 25 minutes from the airport. Whew. 
But, you know, if you're speeding a little bit, so you're going to get there in 20 minutes. I mean, I guess, but is it like a weekday? That's like prime, like, that seems like traffic. Eight in heavy. the morning? Yeah. That's like, that's rush hour, man. Yeah. It must be Saturday? Like, hopefully it's not as busy because it's not rush hour. I don't know. I've not, I've only really flown into Chicago, never driven around, don't know that whole scenario, but seems unlikely. Unlikely, yeah. But they, sure. they rush to the airport, they get on the plane. They are separated on the plane. All the kids are sitting in, like, in coach. They don't give a shit about Kevin. Has already been established. And all the adults are in first class, so they don't notice that the kid's already missing at this point. And, uh, yeah, he gets left. So you're telling me that there's 11 kids here, and not a one of them notices that Kevin's missing. And it, if you think about it this way, too, is, like, the parents... They're only responsible, really, for five of those kids. Yes. They're not... Uncle Frank and... Well, I don't know the mom's the mom's name. Aunt Leslie? It's Leslie? Could be Leslie. And if you have a kid like Kevin McAllister, you know you're going to fucking make sure he got his goddamn suitcase in the van. And if you're C- Catherine O'Hara, yeah. after you just had this conversation about, like, well, disappear, you wish that we're not going to be here. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe, like, double check that that kid's up there. I just... I don't know. It seems crazy. And then the other key is that they made sure that Fuller wasn't going to sleep with him in the hide of bed, so they put him somewhere else, so he's yeah. by himself up on the top floor. Yeah. But, like, again. And then how does Kevin, he went to bed early, so he should have plenty of sleep. He should have gotten up way earlier than he does. I don't know any kid that sleeps in past that. He doesn't hear a goddamn thing downstairs that all running and around like crazy. he didn't eat dinner, so he's probably hungry, too. Oh, his tummy's rumbling all night. Yeah. There's no way he's missing out he's on He's waking this up at, like, 6 in the morning to get a snack. No, I think the dad... Locked the door or something. Yeah. Did something. Or doped Drugged him. him. <laughs> <laughs> here, have some milk, Kevin. Don't wake up, Kevin. We're going to leave you here. I know. But then, so this is the part that I never... Catherine O'Hara, as they've already in the air, they feel like they've forgotten something. The dad's like, oh, I forgot. And she's like, did you turn off the, uh, whatever? Yeah. Did you close the garage? Yeah. He's like, oh, I forgot. That's it. I forgot to close the garage. He gives a shit about this kid. Mm-hmm. But this is when she realizes, she says, Kevin, out loud. So how does this come together for her? Why is it this moment where she's like, oh, I never saw him the entire morning? Yes. But we were rushing. I mean, you've rushed with four kids. It can be kind of It has, intense. but I, I guess I don't understand, like, the that's the moment. Like, oh, there it is. I forgot. It's just like when you think of something, you're like, oh, there it is. <gasps> oh, my God. Something like that. It's crazy to think that. But, I mean, yeah. I don't know. But then how's Kevin gets up. How's your tea there, Tyler? It's getting low. It's getting low. Could use a little uh, refill at some little, point here. A little tea time with Tyler. So then, you know, we then we get this, like, this is where the fantasy part comes in. He is jumping around the house. He's eating popcorn and jumping on top of the parents' bed. He's basically running rampant everywhere. I feel like this is what they were doing when they were getting packed anyway. It seems like that this behavior is probably okay in this house. No one's paying attention to you anyway. Uh, he decides to go and sled down the stairs. He decides to go to shop uh, for a toothbrush, mm-hmm. which we can go into more detail if we Let's want. Let's not. Um, he does all these things, and then this is where we kind of start learning the the idea behind the wet bandits. Uh, Daniel Stern enters the movie. Joe Pesci, we saw him as a cop. He's obviously camping out. These guys are not smart criminals. Are they? I think they're very smart. Really? Yeah. Tell me how. They have a great plan of going around and seeing which people are going to be gone, seeing what their security measures are, scoping the place out. 
five families are out of town on one block. That's not that many, really. In that neighborhood? That's pretty great. There's like 20 houses. So even Old Man Marley is home the entire time. Yeah. Like, there's people that are watching and being like... What the fuck are these guys doing? Oh, they're know. they're go they're serving because they have a van that's like a pu- a plumbing uh, van and heating, right? So they're like going in the middle of the day, most of these houses, and they're robbing the place. Then they're taking stuff in and out. Uh, five people. There's only five people uh, that are gone on the block. And other people are po- positive maybe they're at work or whatever. But old man Marley, he's not working. He's the serial killer that Buzz tries to scare uh, Kevin into thinking he's not gonna uh, do it anything like. He's home. Mm-hmm. He's not working. Mm-hmm. And I think he knows what... Look, and the ending proves that he's paying attention to what's going on. This is not a great... I play. You're, you're, you're not... You're bringing... You're hauling out a bunch of stuff into your van, robbing stuff. I, I, it just seems like a a weird... Uh, a weird way of, of getting getting stuff. Just to sell, like, VCRs. Yeah. <laughs> jewelry and cash is, I think, probably... I mean, it is a rich really neighborhood. There's probably some cash. There's probably some jewelry, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, where are they taking it to? The pawn shop down the yeah. road? Yeah. Interesting. It's an interesting plan. Well, a lot of these houses are big, expensive, nice houses, so they can back their van up into the garage, which is you. a lot of those garages in those neighborhoods are offset a little bit. They're right. set back, and they have all these shrubbery and trees, so you can't really see what they're doing. So you back it up to the garage. You can have a whole house, and it looks like you're just coming in and out and doing your heating and cooling work. That's true. So in, and it's not that stupid as you was as you were saying. All right. Well, their decision later to basically like once they discover that Kevin is by himself at home, to like decide like yeah you know what I think we're gonna go ahead and rob the house anyway. That seems like maybe not the best choice. Definitely not the best choice. But I can see how in this world, uh, there's two criminals who are like fuck this kid challenge except because they've tricked him he's tricked them a couple of times yes but they don't know the phones are down they don't know that whole extra bit and the phones Maybe aren't down do. that night because he is able to call the police that night albeit in a different way that you shouldn't expect but yeah it just seems like if like at any point if you're gonna try to rob a house where a kid's by himself you're just gonna you're just guessing that the kid's like not gonna call 911 I think that what they figured out was this kid's by himself. Clearly he... Shouldn't be by himself. Shouldn't be by himself. So something... So he's not going to call the cops because he's already doing something he shouldn't be doing. Okay. Well, that's only... You're right. It's airtight. It's a perfect movie. Thank you. It's (laughs) airtight. Perfect. So I'm just going to talk about some of my favorite things. Number one. My favorite thing in the whole movie is this uh, bit with the the pizza delivery guy, a, a character I already like from the beginning because he knocks over that statue. Everybody knocks over the statue in front of the house. Love it. This kid, uh, Kevin, wants to get his cheese pizza on. So then he he's already been scared by this video that Uncle Frank wouldn't let him watch. Why is this the movie that, by the way, that like, oh, Uncle Frank's showing the kids this movie that we're watching. And he won't let me watch it. It's like, why is this the movie that you're watching? What a strange choice for a movie. It's Angels with Filthy Souls. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I thought this was a real movie. I did up until a few years ago. Yeah, I thought it was just like a real movie yep. that they just found. No, it was made for the movie. They made a sequel for the sequel. Uh, it's, you know, it, it feels familiar. It's like an old gangster movie. That's what it feels like. Um, but it's just an amazing little sequence that he decides to use to scare the shit out of the pizza guy. And I love it. It's so great. Do you want to 
You can play Roll the, the tape. You have the clip of the the actual movie clip. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, let's play it. So good. Who is it? It's me, Snakes. I got the stuff. Leave it on the doorstep and get the hell out of here. All right, Johnny. But what about my money? What money? AC said you had some dough for me. That a fact. How much do I owe you? AC said 10%. Too bad AC ain't in charge no more. What do you mean? He's upstairs taking a bath. He'll call you when he gets out. Hey! I tell you what I'm gonna give you, Snakes. I'm gonna give you to the count of ten to get your ugly, yellow, no-good keister off my property before I pump your guts full of lead. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. One, two, ten. <laughs> Keep the change, you filthy animal. So great. And I love how, I just like that, because it's my favorite character in the movie, is this teenage uh, pizza guy. He's like, how much, he's like, that a fact, how much do I owe? He's like, he's like, what money? And he's like, uh, well, you have to pay for your pizza, sir. <laughs> and then he, like, gives him, uh, it's like eleven eighty, and he gives him, he throws $12 through the doggy door or whatever, and he's like, keep the change, you filthy animal, and then the kid's like, cheapskate. <laughs> And then, gets, that? and then he gets, uh, then he falls over the trash. I love it. I just love this character. I want a spinoff of the pizza delivery guy just driving around. All oh, this talking about pizzas making me want some pizza delivery. There's that deleted scene where uh, Joe Pesci was asking uh, the pizza guy at the beginning, like, oh, yeah, where do you live? You live in one of these big houses? He's like, yeah, I live in one of these. Yeah, I guess I live in one of these big houses. He's like, yeah, you want me to come out? He's like, yeah, why don't you come? Like, it's clearly like this improv weird thing. Mm-hmm. I love it. I want more of this teenage actor. I want more of this character running around, driving way too fast on the ice, smashing into statues. Oh, God, I love it. He used Kevin uses the same clip again to scare off Marv in the window. Uh, just Does he shoot off? Is this where he shoots off the fireworks out of the pot? Yeah. Right outside the door. Yeah, he really does a lot of... He's Look, Kevin McAllister's resourceful. The number one thing, never mind the booby trap thing at the ho- at the end of the house, because actually I don't think that would take all that much time, really, mm-hmm. if you think about it. The real impressive feat is this party that he throws to, like, throw him, throw him off the first night. He's got a train carrying the Michael Jordan stand-up thing. He's got a mannequin dancing on a record player. He's got some other people playing cards. He's moving them with strings. He's got music playing, which is not is not that impressive. But the thing that is impressive, he's got, like, ambient noise. Like, yes. he's got crowd noise. Yeah. Like, where did he play this? Has he got a cassette tape of just, like, party noises? Yes. He has that CD, apparently. I guess that's a thing, though, because everyone used to get, like, um, a CD of, like, ghoulish Halloween sounds for your Halloween party. Yeah. So maybe there's this one of just, like festive uh party music i don't know but that's impressive he really uh he really tricks on that night by just acting like there's a party going on sorry i haven't been participating i was looking up to see where the actor that played the pizza boy ended up where did he go well he has three actor credits oh yeah yeah just the three home alone Mm -hmm. um doc hollywood okay 
where he plays a boy at fair. Perfect. Uncredited. Oh. <laughs> and then Holy Hollywood. Oh, you think he turned into, he went he went that route, huh? Holy Hollywood, huh? I don't know what that is. Neither do I, but it sounds like he went. He played Candy Warhol. Candy Warhol. <laughs> 1999. That's it. Three acting credits. Oh, poor guy. He's still alive, at least? Yeah. Oh, good. That makes me feel better. Born in 71 or something like I know. That. The DVD has, like, a Where's Buzz Now retrospective, which I could give a shit about. I want the Where's the Pizza Guy retrospective. Like, is he a real, maybe he was a real pizza guy. Maybe they, like, they wanted to get, uh, we didn't talk about this. Like, this is our second movie that's directed by Chris Columbus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He directed Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the previous episode. He was a pretty prominent, uh, I mean, he made a lot of movies. He made a lot of, like, kind of these family movies after this. He made, like, uh, Bicentennial Man with Robin Williams. He made, which isn't very good. Oh, he made Home Alone 2, obviously. He made the first two Harry Potter movies. He was a guy, but then well, most notably, this was a movie written by John Hughes. And yeah, in the in the world of John Hughes movies, where do you rank uh, Home Alone? Because oh. it's not really like his movie. He he just wrote it. But do you like lump this in with like his eighties movies, like totally. The Breakfast Club and Plane Plane Trains and is his as well? And do you still like? Do you feel like it's in the same? Yeah, throw realm? it in there. All right. It's your it's your it's your jam, huh? Yeah. I'm always curious about this with you. What do you mean? I know that this is a movie that I saw a thousand times and that I like. Mm -hmm. And I still never really got the sense that you give a shit about this movie at all. Um. Okay. So, I've been talking a lot, and you've been like, well, else. there's a couple things that have happened here. Okay. You you've had a hard on for this movie since I've known you. <laughs> and hard uh, on for it. And uh, anything that you are super over the top, um, excited about, I like to just give you mad shit about. <laughs> so I don't necessarily need to represent my own feelings. I just like to push push on you a little bit. So when you're like, ah, Home Alone, I'm like, ah, fuck that movie. It's stupid. What are other things that you do? I don't know. I'm sure we'll we'll come up with many of them. You don't push on Jurassic Park? Well, no, because that's a great movie. But I So mean, why is Home Alone not a great movie? No, Home Alone is a terrible movie, but it's a really fun movie. Is it? Okay, this is my question. Is this movie a good movie? Is it, like, objectively good? No. No. It's not. No. Why? And why? Why uh, is that? That character, Buzz. Fuck him. <laughs> okay? Can't okay. stand him. Okay. Um, it, it's like it's 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 speaking to two different audiences. As a kid, the burglars, I didn't get any of that. Really? I, I think that's, a, like, that's the stuff that holds up now. Yeah. Well, as an adult, yes. Joe Pesci. I was going to ask you. I think Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are what make this, make this movie, like, watchable. Because, uh, like... Yes. As a kid, you only care about pratfalls. Yes. That's what makes... It's kind of uneven in that way. Right. It's very much like... I don't know. And then the whole the whole family, Catherine O'Hara, that stuff, that feels like a separate movie, too. I don't know. It feels like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, only with her. Right. There's a little bit of that, because that's the whole B-plot here, is that she... The rest of the family has decided to go to their brother's house in France. They're going to wait until Friday to get on the plane to go back. She decides to stay at the airport and just try to do any means necessary to get home. And that means selling off uh, half her stuff uh, to an old elderly couple. That's one of my – that's my second favorite character in the movie is this old man who finally gives in to – she gives her, like, her ring, her earrings, $500, first-class tickets, like, 
fuck, yeah, I, I'll wait here in Paris for four more days. Sure, no problem. But the old man, my favorite part about it is just because the old man at the end is just like, the old lady's like, please, Ed, please, Ed. And she, he's just like, all right. That's terrible. <laughs> that was a really good impression. <laughs> but, like, don't ever do it again. Oh. Stop! <laughs> Jesus. Tyler Wilson. I'm, I'm shaking as I say it. I think that's what's freaking you it's out. Disturbing. It's it, my. It's such a great the line whole, delivery. The whole earrings thing, and this is right before she meets John Candy, makes me think of planes, trains, and automobiles when he's selling the the shower curtain rings to some people at the wherever they're at. I think the airport. Okay. For as earrings. Yeah. I don't, it's just. It's just like I don't know. <laughs> and I. I don't know. So it's no, not, it's a bad. It's a. It's a bad movie. It's a bad movie. Yeah, because it's uneven. Like it's, you could say it's uneven. Is it a bad movie though? Is it overly schmaltzy? I don't think it's necessarily overly schmaltzy. There's only real one scene of overt sentimentality. It doesn't necessarily work. That was added in uh, by the request of the director. The sweet scene between old man Marley and Kevin at the church. I, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's not a bad movie. It's a bad movie. Is it bad or is it good? You're the film critic. I can't, but this is one of these. This is a great example of a movie. You're that, too close. I'm too close to it. I, I'm cl- flying close to the too close to the sun here. I have seen it so many times that I know. I mean, I can recite the movie. I know, but it's not. I can recite Jurassic Park too. But I objectively think Jurassic Park is a good okay, movie. Okay, so what what defines a good movie? Well, it's I mean, just, John Hughes wrote this. He's a very talented storyteller. In terms of being a, a family based comedy, a uh, a bit of. Uh, like wish fulfillment movie for a kid, mm-hmm. I think it's very successful. Like it gives you a perspective yes. of a kid that works. Obviously, I think it it's fair to say. Maybe you don't think now. Think of it now. The Macaulay Culkin thing that was something. He was a breakout. People liked this performance. He was a star, right? He rode this. This is his whole career is ridden off of Home Alone. Home Alone Two is just Home Alone. And in his entire career, other than, like, these, like, the good son and these switch-offs of, like, trying to play against type, I mean, it's all just been riding off the goodwill of Home Alone. Mm -hmm. So, obviously, that's working, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as a kid's movie, guess the Pratt Falls, I think, are where, as an adult, you're just like, oh, this is a kid's movie. Because the bits at the end where he, the criminals are getting, like, banged up is pretty slapsticky. It's, it goes beyond kind of what is like traditionally like more adult oriented humor it's like looney tunes esque right mm-hmm. which i love looney tunes but it's geared to kids that's what everybody remembers about home alone as a kid it's like oh man he made a booby trapped house and that's great right mm-hmm. it's my least favorite part of the movie now like when it gets to that i feel like well the movie's done i like the other weird stuff that goes on with harry and marv before that i like these are the little interactions with the pizza guy i like all that stuff better than i like mm-hmm. just like this uh just sequence of people getting hurt i like him buying the toothbrush i like him doing some laundry right i like him walking home with his grocery sacks that break right and i think that's his best scene before that is when he's interacting with the checkout lady where he's just like you think i would really be here alone like it's all it, it, it i know it's the good stuff because they repeat that same bit in the next movie. Anything that's really good about Home Alone, you know it worked and you know it's good because those bits are the parts that they recreate to less success in the mm-hmm. second movie. With the exception of being like they go, they up the ante on the pratfalls and the booby traps in the second one to a to a, a extreme degree. 
I do think that I read that the the parts with the what's his name the shovel the old neighbor, old man Marley old man Marley were beefed up for the movie yeah kind I said, of at yeah that church I, scene I think that helps make the movie a little bit better that brings it down to reality a little not reality but I don't know pulls it out of its cartoonish feeling well if you think about that too is that if that was really like what it suggested was that Chris Columbus suggest they needed this character to kind of be more in the movie to do these things so that then i wonder like how because a lot of this a lot of these things that happen in the movie are prompted by his fear of old man marley he goes to the store steals the toothbrush because he's scared by old man marley showing up mm-hmm. he goes the church is obviously the, the outlier scene but like shoveling the all this stuff is based on his fear he doesn't approach him about what's going on because he's scared of him right and then the ending is entirely dependent, you would think, on his relationship, or at least knowing knowing old man Marley from that church scene. So how does he get out of... There's a lot of things that have to change in the script if, yeah. if he's not in the movie, right? So I, I'm just fascinated by, like, what I wonder how we got out of that scenario at the end without old man Marley. Yeah. Or... It'd be interesting to see the original script versus what came out. Um, I think it shows that that director is mm-hmm. really talented at directing kids. I think kids are the hardest people to direct. Yeah. And he's directed the lots of kids in his, the movies he's done. Well, hey, I and was... John Hughes maybe not the best at writing a movie for little... That is a little kid. Right. And he... I mean, he's a, he's in that sweet spot of, like, wish fulfillment movies. This, that tends to be kind of the age, right? Like, we're talking little big league. We're all in, like, the 8 to 13 range is where you, like, make these wish fulfillment movies for kids, right? Mm-hmm. It was big in the 90s. Home Alone basically prompted a lot of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, Chris, I mean, we talked about this in the Harry Potter episode. I mean, Chris Columbus was, I know that those first two Harry Potter movies are most everybody's least favorite of the franchise, but he was instrumental in the casting of all these kid actors and they're, and all three of those kid actors and all the other supporting kid actors are really good in the movie. So he's obviously done something right and knows how to, yeah, he just probably deserves more credit than Macaulay Culkin deserves, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So I, you know. But yeah, there's just uh, there's there's a lot of just I like the pratfalls to me are, are less entertaining now. I like all the the little things. I like uh, when he breaks Buzz's room, which is really satisfying. When he destroys his room, and he goes through his chest and he finds his girlfriend's uh, picture, and the girlfriend, I as I learned, is not it wasn't a girl. It was like someone's a, a crew member put their son in a wig, and that that was the kid because they mm-hmm. didn't want to be like making fun. But he's like. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Woof. <laughs> There's that. There's God, John Hughes has written so much. Yeah. Holy shit. Are you just discovering this? No, I guess I there were a couple because I was thinking he's more talented at writing for like teenagers and young adults. He's written. He did Curly Sue. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that was after Home Alone, though. Mm-hmm. Future episode Curly Sue, is that what you're uh, saying? Uncle Buck was a TV series, and what? Yeah, yeah. Not, uh... 18 episodes. Yeah, so... Sorry. You're saying that you don't necessarily work, the Catherine O'Hara stuff doesn't work for you as well, but you do get uh, John Candy appearing in the back end of that. He has someone that she meets in Scranton. Michael Scott was probably there saying goodbye to Pam uh, at the Scranton airport. And... Um, <laughs> But she, he offered. He's part of a polka band, band and they're hiring a, or they're renting a a truck to get to Milwaukee. They're going to drive through Chicago, so you get John Candy for 
He always, to me, when I think about the movie, he seems like he's in it a little bit more. He's really only in two scenes. Mm-hmm. He's shot for a day on the movie, and it seems like maybe two two setups, one in the one in the truck and one at this airport, right? A day being like 24 hours of shooting. Yeah. He it is suggested that he's improvised everything in the movie. I think that's pretty apparent uh, from kind of the things he just kind of rattles on about. But I mean, it's I mean, it's great. <laughs> like I don't know. Like I love the I love the John uh, Candy stuff in the movie. It's just two little scenes, but it's kind of a different flavor of comedy. I like, I really like his scene at the end that happens after all of the stuff with the crooks, and they're in. She's in the back of the truck. It's the end of the movie. Like mm-hmm. after this, it's just a scene of her getting home, and that's it. Movie's over. Mm-hmm. It's a scene right before we. After all this stuff we've had with uh, Kevin doing the the comedic climax, if you were right. So then it seems like we're gonna have this scene of like Catherine O'Hara like lamenting her bad parenting and she's going to be reassured. And so I really like what this scene does. You have it? I have it. Yes, play it. Now tell me, have you ever gone on vacation and left your child home? No. No, but I did leave one at a funeral parlor once. Yeah, it was, uh, it was terrible, too. You know, I was all distraught and everything, you know, the wife and I. And we left the, the little tyke there in the funeral parlor all day. All day. You know, we, we went back at night when, you know, when we came to our senses. And there he was. Apparently, he was there alone all day with a corpse. <sighs> now, he was okay, you know, after six, seven weeks. And I came around started talking again. Uh... But he's okay. You know, they get over it. Kids are resilient like that. Maybe we shouldn't talk about this. Well, you brought it up. I was just, I you know, trying well, to cheer I'm you up. sorry I did. And that's it. <laughs> it's like what seems to be a scene where we're going to, like, get an actual me- something meaty with her. No, it's just like this thing about, like, oh, you probably shouldn't have brought that up. Like, you probably traumatized your kid. <laughs> <laughs> you, you fucked up so bad, lady. I love it. It's a it's a totally different type of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it has John Candy doing the the Midwest accent, which is my favorite part. The other my other favorite part of this movie is like his accent. The cop that they get to fi- the, at the big earlier in the movie where they do finally get a hold of the police department. And they try to send a cop over to the house to check on him, and it's co- the co- the cops don't get a great depiction in this movie. No, <laughs> they show it takes them forever to get to the house after they do get called at the end. Uh, the guy that's chased the, the cop that's chasing after Kevin after he steals a toothbrush, like Pratt falls, slides on that ice, falls down. That's over with. He can't even catch a kid taking a toothbrush. But my favorite cop is at the beginning where he's uh, he, this cop's just knocking on a door. He's knocking on a door for like five minutes, and this is after the burglars have kind of scared Kevin a little bit, so he's not going to the door. But he just keeps knocking, and he's just like, "What? The house looks secure. Tell them to count their kids again." <laughs> That's not a great Chicago accent, but <laughs> I like how he's like, don't count their kids again. Meh. Go watch the bears. <laughs> and then he's out of here. Oh That's all God. they do to check on him. You love this movie so much. <laughs> I love that cop. I wanted to follow that character for a little while, too. Because he's just like, can you imagine? They've got a hysterical call from someone who's like, we've left our kid at home. We don't know. He's at home. He's by himself. And the only thing the cops do is like, well, we'll just knock on the door for a couple minutes. No, no one came to the door. Oh, well. Oh, well. What's this up? is fine. Are the bears on Monday night? Were they, when are they playing? Thursday? Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. I want more of the cop and more of the pizza guy. 
That's what I want. So yeah, I was thinking about this. Okay. The um. <laughs> Hold on, hold on. I gotta fill up my tea real quick. Okay. Oh, well, go ahead. Actually, why don't you? Uh, what were you thinking about? I was thinking about. Uh, I was watching this this time. This is about when you were falling asleep, so I was really just <laughs> rattling my thoughts on the movie a little bit. Uh-huh. So he's going. He's talked to the old man Marley. The old man Marley has had a problem. He's he's watching his granddaughter sing. He can't talk to his. Who cares? Like all that stuff's just nonsense. Doesn't matter. But uh, that's the stuff I think is good. Well, it's it's good, but it. I mean, it was once you know it was like just throwing it into the movie. You're just like, okay, well, whatever. Um, well, before that, he goes and sees the the Santa Claus. They have like a. This was a thing. Like he, the, it's like a little like shed. It looks like it's like a little Santa's workshop that people go to see. It was like in the neighborhood, and he worked at this little like little shed building. And he had a little elf that worked there. Remember this part? Did you already fall asleep? Did you watch this movie? <laughs> I think I was asleep. Well, the actor is one of the roughnecks from Armageddon. Uh, Bruce Willis is little oil driller guys. He's that guy, Max or, or Mac, whatever. Oh my god! Yeah. What are you talking about? So he is like he's not like he's just got the suit on. He's got his uh, thing down. Kevin knows he's not like the real Santa and all that stuff. And he's just like trying to give him candy cane, but give him Tic Tacs instead, right? All right, jeez, this maybe you should have watched it. You don't remember the Tic Tac scene? Mm-mm. It doesn't matter. I'll just move on. What about it? What's Nothing. your point? No, let's move on. It's fine. What's your point? No, I don't have one. I'll talk about the boob. Do your tea thing. I'll talk about the the, the booby trap thing. What? No, what was your point with this? I don't know now. You've, you're loss of... The, <laughs> never mind. All right, it was from Armageddon. And I don't know. I lost it now. Your disregard of uh, the Santa Claus scene with the Armageddon guy just saddens me. Oh, no. <laughs> I was curious about, like, little, like, is this a thing in in neighborhoods where they had this, like, little, it looks like makeshift place where you could go see, visit Santa? No, I, I'm, I Is it just because there's such a, it's such a rich neighborhood that they just have this extra thing? Must be. Because it's in the neighborhood. I thought you were talking about the nativity scene outside the church. No. I was like, that's a common thing. I know about that. Come on. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that big of a heathen. Jesus. I used to go to every we. I, I, I'll have you know, our family went to church on Christmas Eve every year, and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this got real secular real quick. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember when we stopped doing that. I was like, so... when I was a teenager, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. And I think they're just like, yeah, we don't want to go either. <laughs> it's tea time with Tyler. Okay. Where I fill up my tea. A spot of tea. Because I need a beverage while I let you talk for the whole podcast about movies that you'd love. Um, There's a spot of tea. I get you get your spot of tea. Go Were see you the trying bears. to do a Wisconsin it's accent? It's hard to do. No, I was trying to. It's, it's different. We have family in Wisconsin, Minnesota, and it, it's Midwest, but there's a whole Chicago flavor. That I, I don't want to insult Chicago, but they've Chicago. got their own thing, man. They've got their own little thing. What are you doing? I'm not doing it. I'm just You're talking. doing something. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you derailed me on my talk of the Shit. Armageddon. Okay. Name as many child fulfillment, fantasy fulfillment movies as you can, and go. A Kid in King Arthur's Court, Rookie of the Year, Little Big League, Richie Rich, uh, First Kid, uh, Blank Check. Ooh, we gotta do Blank Check. Oh my god, I love Blank Check. That, I don't have it, and it it keeps popping up on... Yeah, it's not. It's one of those Disney DVDs that are always like a little bit more expensive than you want to pay. It it goes on Hulu like half the year. Keep going, what else? Oh man, uh, 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 just ones that, the, it's like the Mighty, the Mighty Ducks, I think number two qualifies because they go to like the US, uh, they go to like a national, a world competition. I think that counts as a wish fulfillment one. 
uh, uh, oh gosh, there's so many ones that I remember as a kid. Do you want some more? Oh, I do water? want some more tea for my or water for my Not tea. Not near the laptop, sir. Okay, whatever. What we How about, about ones where a girl is the protagonist? Can you think of one? Oh, shoot, that wasn't even a thing. <laughs> uh, well, like the Princess Diaries, I guess, counts as that, doesn't it? Um, well, that wasn't very much water. Yay! For I did get one though. Princess Diaries technically counts, right? I guess that's obnoxious, though. It was a boy. It was a big '90s. Well, I mean, if we're gonna talk about sexism in film in the '80s and '90s, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's in every '80s and '90s film. Is yeah, it's rampant. Mean, it is hugely rampant. In gay panic. Oh, this yeah. movie does not have. Mm, trying to think if it does. I don't think so. Not like some of those other ones we've watched, where it's just like. Ugh. There is gay. There is some gay panic in Home Alone Two: Lost in New York, though. Of course, because it's later. I feel like it's a '90s thing, less of a '80s thing. Oh, you're completely wrong about that. But okay, <laughs> it was. Well, it was much more overt. They would actually use like terrible language about that. I'm thinking in, the 80s. in some of the movies we've watched, it's been surprising how. Oh. homophobic and awful they were well because they were you gotta remember the 80s you could just do it they were they were doing it openly and it was terrible and so the 90s are always like we still have this negative feeling but we're just gonna sneak it in and be funny about it which is also just as bad of course yeah but. that's kind of more what i'm talking about so it's different but now if you watch uh no you're gonna no yeah. you'd be horrified by some of the stuff that was going on in the 80s in these movies that's for sure sad it's pretty bad but this one didn't have too much of it, though. That's a, you know, PG. Yeah, that one, too, does have a little moment of that. So why didn't Kevin McAllister just, uh, like, go over to one of his buddies' houses? Well, I would have posited he doesn't have any buddies. Oh, that's probably true. He's a bit also, of a... Also, I, I do think it comes back to, I think he's afraid that he wished his family away. He doesn't want anyone to find out. Yeah, and it, that we were talking about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. It, 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 a lot of this depends, like, well, why wouldn't he just call the police or why would he do this and i mean you keep pointing out it's like well if he wished his family away, he would think he was in trouble mm-hmm. plus you pointed out that he like also stole a toothbrush and probably thinks that he's wanted or something for stealing the toothbrush yes because there's another comment later in the movie where he was like oh oh i gotta wipe off my toothbrush wipe the prints off the, the... a deleted scene yeah mm-hmm. um oh was that a deleted I must, scene? i think so yeah. he yeah, it certainly wasn't I, if I if that's not jogging my memory very well, then I know it wasn't actually in the movie because I know the things in the movie pretty well. But no, even like the Murphy kid seems like he's the kid at the beginning that he gets miscounted for. He seems like his age. Yeah. But they're not like if he was really his friend, wouldn't he be over and be like, "Where's Kevin? Where's, Where's my buddy?" Where's no, Kevin? I don't think yeah. Mur- I don't think the Murphy kid likes Kevin all that much. I don't think anyone does. No. Is this like early like hate um, hating on kids that are different? Is Maybe. Kevin McAllister just? different well i don't know if he's different is he really that different though because no the whole point of it is that you're, you're supposed to as a kid you're supposed to be like oh i am kevin McCow. so no i don't think so but you're right i do feel like he doesn't have a buddy like in class or something he talks about the only thing he really talks about is like um getting a sweater in the church scene and if it had like dinosaurs on you know it was a friend that wore had like dinosaur pajamas you get beat up or something about that he talks about like the social status of the of the school but not a lot of uh yeah he has no buddy he's not like i'm gonna go down over to phil's house and we're gonna play uh nes or something like that yeah. none of that a little weird so i do want to talk about the, the thing that i noticed this time is he doesn't i was always like well he leaves the church we did we did a count of the gongs when he leaves the church it's eight o'clock or mm-hmm. whatever he overhears marv and harry by the way harry lime is his name they named his the character's name is harry lime which is from the third man i didn't realize that they gave him as the, the last name of lime that's like 
an interesting reference. It's a little bit weird, honestly. Like, why is that a reference in this movie? I understand, like, seeing White Christmas and seeing The Grinch and seeing It's a Wonderful Life in French. I understand that stuff. Mm -hmm. Marley as a character name, fine. But, like, why is Harry Lime, like, the reference? It must be, like, third man. Anyway, it's 8 o'clock. He knows they're coming at 9 o'clock. His whole plan, it's suggested he's made his little battle plan earlier in the day. Yeah, mapped it all out. But it's suggested that he sets everything up in this one-hour period, and I thought... The kid who can't pack his own fucking suitcase. (laughs) That's a good point. Why can he not pack his own suitcase? Because it certainly seems like he can go shopping for the eggs and the fabric softener. I think it comes down to that that thing where uh, you raise these kids and you coddle them. But if you just expect them to do more, they can fucking do it. And he's had a few days of, like, mm-hmm. working on his feet and doing things the way he needs to do it, right? He, so he's he's gained the confidence, right? He This is my house. I have to defend it. That's what he says, right? So then I was thinking, like, oh, there's not enough time. You could never set this up. But then if you watch the sequence, mm-hmm. it's really not that many traps. He doesn't put that many traps down. So it wouldn't, I think an hour is probably really, it's almost realistic. It might be a little frazzled and hurried, especially since he tries to mic up some macaroni before they come yep. and eat that, which is, I mean, he's starting to eat that at 8.58. He thinks he's going to have that whole Mac down before 9 o'clock. Although Harry and Marv are very, they're punctual. They get there yeah, right at 9 o'clock. They sure do. They're not, they said around 9, but they got there. And what would have happened if around 9 was like 8.45 for them? He would have not been ready. He wouldn't have had the tar down in the, the basement, right? But some of the things... So do you, are you, what's your thoughts on this? Mm-hmm. Is it your thought that Kevin's plan is to keep him, keep the, them from getting, from getting in the house and causing trouble? Or is his plan to have them go through every one of the traps and be injured? Like, what is your, what's the end game? He's going to murder them. Is that like the last thing? His, his plan is to he's murder them. drown him in the Murphy's basement? Because they know that he's home alone. Right. And they know... That he's home alone and he can't let anybody find that out because he wished his parents away. So, you're so saying, his plan is to fucking kill these people. Well, some of the things that he does to them would probably kill normal people. Yeah. The falling on the ice alone, the way that these two guys, like Joe Pesci really takes a tumble right on his back. I think, and he hits his head on the cement a couple yeah. times. That would be enough. Now, in the sequel, the Daniel Stern is like dead about six times over because some of the stuff that happens in that movie is and he gets a brick he gets like three bricks thrown from like a three story building that land right on his head and he okay, well keeps we're not talking about that movie I'm Tyler. just saying like there's no way he's alive but I mean some of the stuff that happens here but I'll, I'll backtrack I want to know your thoughts is he trying to keep them out of the house from robbing it or is he trying to somehow ensnare them or wait because he the whole plan is to call the cops and have them go to the murphy's house so he's got to go out of the house and over to the murphy's house what's the what's his end game what is he what do you think kevin's trying to do as they go through he just wants to hurt them stop them incapacitate them i don't know because as you pointed out while we're watching it he could have locked the door he leaves a window wide open so uh marv can come in and smash his feet but the forethought... He also leaves the back door open, so like he walks through and what happens when the, you... The flamethrower burns yes. Joe Pesci's head, so that door has to be open. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the the ornaments especially, the window's wide open. He's already counting to count on the point, the fact that he's already tried the basement and gotten his shoes off? Because stepping on ornaments is not going to hurt you unless you have your shoes off. Mm-hmm. 
That's I mean, there's a lot of things that have to happen yeah. for that to be right. But yeah, and then Marv goes into the the basement and he's trying to get the door open. It's a well constructed door. He's trying to get the crowbar. He can't get it open. But then he just tries to open the door with a knob and it just is unlocked. It seems like the house is pretty secure. Yeah, he could have just locked the doors. Yeah, make him break a window. In which case, then you're going to tip off old man Marley, right? Yes. So I mean, but really, it's not that many things. It's like hot burner on the end. I don't even know what that thing what is. What was that? What is that? I don't know. Someone, if we ever had listeners, they could maybe write in and tell us what that thing was. We could Google a bit. Meh. Why would we do that? Uh, so he burns his hand. Uh, there's ice on the steps. There's tar. This is your point. Like, there's a lot of tar in the house. Who has tar in a can in their garage? It is a ton of tar. What are you using tar for? Is it to, like, roof? Maybe. Maybe. But, like, I don't know. But he puts that all over the basement. These don't seem like DIYers. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> no. I and mean, we were trying to figure out what they did because it, like, I think someone on the, again, we thank the internet for this, but someone suggested that, uh, or maybe it's in the novelization, the mom is like a fashion designer. That would explain like the mannequins he uses during the little fake party. Mm-hmm. And then the dad's just an asshole businessman, obviously. A businessman. He's on a business trip. He's just like a business Six days man. out of seven days of the week. For sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, and then once they get in the house, we're just talking about like some micro machines on the ground, a tar, like a feather, not a tar and feather thing, although there is tars and feathers in this movie, what does that say? Um, but like a thing where he gets some sticky wrap on his face and then he puts feathers on him, that's not going to hurt him. No. It's slow you down, not even really. Identify him, so if he's do, hiding from the police. I do like the, my, the, the good bit in this is the, uh, when they get to finally come back together, Harry and Marv. Uh, Harry asks him, like, why the hell did you take your shoes off? <laughs> and then Marv responds, like, why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? <laughs> it's pretty good. These two guys are good in the movie. Like, they're funny. Like, it's still, everything that they do is funny. They're funny. They're menacing. They're not, they're menacing to a kid, but they're, like, comical to us, I think. Yeah. That's the sweet spot that they land in. And then it's the paint cans on the window, on the stairs. And then, like, a wire across a, a, a walkway. And, I mean, yeah. There's not a, lot of, not a lot of booby traps, really. I mean, yeah. I think I would have included something that included maybe, like, a knife or an axe. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. The flamethrower on the head is pretty severe. Like, you could probably burn someone's... Joe Pesci's lucky to have a face, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know. And then, like, yeah, cutting a wire between a window and... Uh, a treehouse if you fell that would probably you probably break some stuff probably mm-hmm. it's outside a window that's not an mm-hmm. easy thing to do but not a lot and then like he only really gets away because of the tarantula that he br- knocked out of uh, Buzz's room is conveniently in the hallway that he can put on uh, his face like if that didn't happen he would have been caught right there mm-hmm. end, of, end of the thing although he doesn't it doesn't he gets caught relatively soon after that anyway and he already has called the cops but um, yeah, there is some pretty good stuff with, uh, him getting hit with the crowbar, though. Uh, uh, I was going to call him Harv. Old <laughs> Harry Man and Marv. No, like, uh, he's hitting with the crowbar because he's trying to hit the... Oh, trying to hit the he's spider. He's like, the way he talks. Yeah. Daniel Stern, underrated. Daniel yeah. Stern is an underrated... He's good in everything, I yeah, think. Yeah, city slicker. Yeah, that's what you called him. I remember mm-hmm. that. But the, the plan is that he before that he gets them upstairs, he calls the police from the so the phones are working now, a good thing. 
he calls him and says, like, hey, my name's Murphy. He's going to go get him caught at the Murphy house. So his whole plan is to go to the Murphy house. See, again, he doesn't want the cops to know he's home alone. Okay, yeah. That makes sense, I guess. But it just seems risky. It doesn't seem like... Because uh, he ends up getting caught. He wants him to follow him into the, the cellar of the house where it's been flooded because of the wet bandits. We didn't... I mean, you know. You've seen the movie. Uh, they filmed that at the high school. In the, the basement? Pool. Mm-hmm. In oh. the high school pool. Nice. Fun fact. Looks like a basement. Yeah, they filmed it in the pool. Movie magic. Mm-hmm. But then they they finally get smart and they don't go through the whole water. They go and just wait up for him upstairs. And I do like my. This is another visual I like. I do like how they they hang him on they like hang the him hook on the coat hook. of the door or the coat hook on the door. Yeah, and he's just like a little kid. You kind of forget how little Macaulay Culkin was. He's just a little kid hanging with a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing he decides, like, uh. Harry decides to do is he's going to bite his fingers off. What a weird thing to do, huh? Yeah, I mean, that's not my first instinct. If I'm <laughs> I know gonna... he's angry from getting, like, booby-trapped, but, like, you're going to, like... He starts putting his finger in his, like, mm-hmm. mouth. And to the point where I think they said, like, he needed, like, a... He had, like, a scar on his hand because yeah. Joe Pesci was, like, you know, he's skin. too act. Too... Man, what, are you, what are you doing, Joe Pesci? You're really too into your role here? Like, he ah! <laughs> 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 Which makes me think about, uh... Well, that's a little bit of an aside. Remember in Batman Returns, no, the Penguin, stop. Danny DeVito is like talking to that campaign guy, and he bites that motherfucker's nose right off. Oh, it's so fucking great. <laughs> that's a Christmas movie. We could do Batman Returns. I love Batman Returns. Oh my god. <laughs> do you like Batman Returns? I don't know. It's great. <laughs> I think it's better. Hot take. I think Batman Returns is better than '89 Batman. I'm putting my arms up like I'm like you're suggesting, dropping a mic. suggesting that you fight me. I, I, I don't even... I couldn't tell you what they are. Batman Returns better than Batman. Does one of those have uh, Poison Ivy in them? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's Batman and Robin. These are That's all movies we will do. That's the best one ever. We will do Which one has the Riddler? That's number three, Batman Forever. The Jim Carrey Riddler. Oh, yeah. So good. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Which one has nipples, Batman? That's, well, it's a little-known fact. There is a little bit of that in Batman Forever, but it's known for number four, the George Clooney So one. we're talking about Home Alone, and Tyler, we've been talking for an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> it's a good movie. We're two minutes away. I feel away. like we've been going fast <laughs> over it, too. We're two minutes away from going the length I did of the get, movie. I have two. I only oh, my have, God, you have more? I only have two more things, <laughs> really, to talk about. Okay. Number one is that the, the way that he gets out of this scenario of being hung on the hook is that old man Marley shows up with the shovel and knocks him out, right? And he gets saved and he says, let's take him home. So I want to know, what was old man Marley doing? What was he? Did he witness all this? Like, did he see these guys like fall from the treehouse and then like saw the kid run into the other house and then sweating? Like, at what point is he paying attention to all this? Or do you think he's been watching the whole time? <laughs> like, like He's oh. like, I'm going to see how this plays out. Yeah, he's like, these assholes keep falling on the stairs outside the thing. What are they doing? Like, <laughs> Is he just like shoveling, putting sand on the, the, the sidewalk? And he's like, is he wondering like, oh shit, I haven't, I need to go do put some salt on their uh, stairs. And, oh, that solves that problem, by the way. Yeah, I was going to ask you a question like, at the end when all the family gets home, like, how come no one's slipping on the ice? Well, old man Marley's obviously salting it. Cause that's he's what salting he did. it. He salted the whole neighborhood. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Even though that's the salt. That's how he knew the kid was in trouble. You know, even though he could still be the murderer that Buzz says, he could be salting the bodies like mummy, like, and turns them into mummies. No, that's not a thing. He's turns The salt turns the bodies into mummies. What do you think 
Um, Roger Ebert gave this movie. I don't what know. What did Roger say? But, like, is he watching the whole thing is what I want to know. I have another question. Do the Roger thing, but I got another question about Old Man Marley. Oh, my God. That. Why? Because <laughs> I got more questions. You got to end this podcast. I got more questions. What's your guess on how many stars Roger Ebert gave it? Three stars. That's hopeful. No. Oh, really? No. It, it was a big hit. I just thought because it was So if, a... you're, if you're wondering, is this a good movie, according to Roger Ebert, no. No, it is it not. two stars. Two and a half. That's okay. That's one of those reviews where he's like on the verge of giving it like a thumbs up. Two and a half is like the verge. What did he say? Well, he talks very highly of Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> um, he but then since you're talking about the uh, booby traps, I'll jump to the end where he talks about that. He says, "When the burglars invade Kevin's home, they find themselves running a gamut of booby traps so elaborate they could have been concocted." And I don't get this reference by Rube Goldberg. Like a Rube Goldberg machine, like those uh, little oh. elaborate... Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I got yeah. that. Or by the berserk father in Last House on the Left. Okay. Yeah. What's that movie? They remade it. It's like a... Horror movie? Yeah, kind of. Uh, it's kind of like the equal... You know, well, remember in the Equalizer, the first Equalizer where Denzel Washington, like, Home Alone's at Home Depot? Yes. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> because all plausibility is gone, we sit back detached... To watch stuntmen and special effect guys take over a movie that promised to be the kind of story audiences could identify with. I don't, I, I kind of disagree with that one because I don't think his, again, I don't think his booby traps are that elaborate. Like, I think the tar is the biggest reach. Like, everything else is just like stuff he found around. I don't know. I don't really find, because it's not that much. It's only like, and again, it's only like seven minutes of the movie, really. They get through these, it's faster than you think. I know that everybody remembers this part of the movie. But it's not that much. It really goes by now in the sequel. It's like twice as long. But it's like the magic of the movie. That's it's what made this movie a hit. So, but so it's wouldn't you posit then that Roger Ebert is wrong then about this? If that is the thing that made it a hit, then he's saying that that's a problem. Everybody else in America obviously. Well, disagreed. I think that seeing it as an adult, I, then was different than us seeing it as kids. Then that's true. I think it's the it's my least favorite part of the movie now. So like as an adult, if I'm like, oh, okay, I'm kind of into this, I'm I'm enjoying this, then I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah, and it, the movie's over. Other than Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci's kind of their comments, and I do like Joe Pesci's like not swearing. <laughs> I like all that because it's like Joe Pesci, you know him as like this this profane guy, right? Yeah. Gangster type. Yeah. So that kind of I think there's a charm to that as well. No, okay. So old man Marley. Jesus. Okay, Tyler. He says I'm closing my laptop. After he's there's okay, there's there's the scene where he's like how he says after he knocks him out, right? He's like, let's get you home. Okay? So that's when we cut to Kevin watching them arrest the wet bandits and talking about how they're arresting him or whatever. You don't see old man Marley outside the window. Kevin's at his house watching it, right? I want to know what happened. He, he, old man Marley took him home, leaves him at the front door, goes and talks to the cops. What is the story here? Is he just saying like, oh, we caught them at the the house. We just caught him red-handed. Does old man Marley interact with the cops at all? Because at that point, you'd think he would bring up the fact that, like, well, there was a kid over there, and I saw the kid running around, and so I thought I'd grab it or whatever. And then if the cops were doing their job, they'd be like, well, they robbed this house. This, this water's been running for two days. Like, they robbed – why are they back at this crime scene? Like, there's there's a big gap here. Like, they just kind of – I don't necessarily want to explain. I'm just curious, like, how did the, how did old man Marley not talk to the cops? How did Kevin not get caught at this point? It's just like – 
I like how the movie is just like, don't think about that. We're going to cut to a scene with John Candy and Catherine O'Hara in a, in a truck. And we're done because we know you've hung on tight enough. Yeah, there were no deleted scenes in that category. No, there wasn't. They just, they rush over that. Whereas like the... Because the it doesn't matter. That's why. It doesn't. But I, I find it funny. Like old man Marley is apparently this nice guy who saved him, but he's just like, all right, well, see you later. I don't know what's your deal. See you later because we still know that you're still an asshole. Are, kid. are your, are your parents home? I don't know. I don't care. I gotta go call my son and see if I can see my grandkid outside of church. Um, <laughs> I mean, he could just be crazy a little bit. So then he could be just a sure. little like dementia crazy. Well, we know that he's also kind of an asshole because he's had a disagreement with his son where he's not on speaking terms with his own son. He can't yeah, see like, his grandkid. Yeah, like you clearly did something. You're you're clearly some sort of shitbag. He thought he was some yeah, he didn't agree with his work or uh, maybe he's his son is gay. I don't know. Who knows? He didn't approve of his son for some reason and he was a dick about it. Mm-hmm. So then the movie ends on that sentiment where he looks Kevin looks through the window and sees him embracing his son and getting his granddaughter there or whatever. And the granddaughter he says in the church, like, oh, do you know her? She's about your age. Like, it's the same neighborhood. And Kevin's like, nope. What is, Ke- is Kevin homeschooled? <laughs> like, what's going on? We know, no, he's talking about school, though. No one knows him. He doesn't know any of these kids. He doesn't know them. Is he, is he Haley Joe Osmond? Is he, like, six sensing this whole thing? No. I don't know. I think know. he's, like, in the special classes. <laughs> he's in the special <laughs> classes because he's just a little bit too precocious. I don't know. But this is my, my new favorite scene it confirms your theory from the beginning of this podcast about the dad being an asshole and being a guy who just wanted to get rid of his kid right yes he gets home the mom gets home she thinks that no one's gonna make it no let's get this dumb, i actually don't like this this dumb thing where they all walk in the door like oh see well we got on the fucking plane the friday plane you knew one you didn't want to go on and yeah we're here at the same time you got here and she like takes that really well she's like oh my gosh what a great treat if I were, I'd be so fucking pissed. I'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck I just you. rode a fucking polka van. You don't get to just show up. No. Go, fuck you. Go down. You go stay in a fucking hotel for two days. You are not staying in this house right now. No. I had to try so hard to get home. And you're just fucking home at the same time I am. Fuck I you. Fuck you. Yes. No. I'd be so angry with him. We're on the same page there. That's bullshit. Yep. And, and it. Clearly, I had that sentiment, which is why I wrote it in the what do you remember? Because I was like, what the fuck? It would make me so mad. <laughs> It would just be like, I i wouldn't even be happy to see him. I think that, <laughs> actually, I think that's part of what made me, it's one of the things that irritated me about the movie. That's why I remember, because I was just like, why did we even follow her around this whole fucking time then? Should have just taken that flight on Friday. So annoying. Like, it just felt like, it just it, discounted the whole journey It's like a her. dagger in the side of her. It's like, yes. it's almost like her punishment for leaving. Like, her, your punishment is you have to deal with all this shit travel. Even though, like, you're the everybody else forgot you too. Why do yeah. they get an easy, the easy yeah. way out? At least in the sequel, they all are miserable at that Florida hotel with the rain, and they all go to New York at the end. So the mom hugs Kevin. Yeah. So then they have a little cute little thing, like, "Oh, he survived. What'd you do? Oh, just hung around." And they all laugh. It's like this big Uncle Frank's not here. They fucking went home or whatever. Good riddance. Ooh, we do need to talk about that deleted. No, scene. we don't. We do. Um. So. It's almost two hours into this podcast. It's an amazing movie. We rushed through it. No, so they like all laugh, right? They all have this great moment. Buzz compliments him for not burning the house down, right? And they all laugh and like, okay, let's go put our stuff away. <laughs> and within 30 seconds of they've not seen him, they've left him here, they all disperse out of the scene. They all just leave the room. Mm-hmm. And okay, fine. They have to put some of their stuff away. Whatever. Fine. They're getting their shit away. Fine. The dad is still in the scene, John Hurd. 
And there's this great moment. I showed it to you even after you fell asleep after you woke up. Where he, like, John Hurt is, like, it's good acting on his part, I think. Because he's just, like, about to, like, touch his shoulder. And he opens his mouth like he's going to say something to Kevin. Like, uh, and then he, like, turns his head and just, like, takes a deep breath and walks out of the frame. He's like, I have nothing to say to you. He can't. He hasn't seen him for five days. He's abandoned him. Yeah. He has got nothing to say to this child. He's not like, hey, Kevin, let's chat. Mom's not in the room. He has no obligation to speak to him, so he chooses not to. Yep. He's just like. He's okay. more interested in finding some gold fucking tooth on the ground mm-hmm. in the house than he is with his own son that he's abandoned. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. This goes back to the theory that you posited at the beginning of this podcast yes. two hours ago that. He did it on purpose. He did it he on purpose. He left that kid on purpose. He doesn't want this child. Nope. He left him there in the hopes. He maybe, what about this? Do you think that maybe, like, there's always a, like, henchmen like this, there's always, like, a guy at the top, right? You think that, like, he hired the wet I mean, bandits? Okay, so the internet. To, like, take him out? The internet did play with that idea. Oh, okay. And I think uh, there was some reason why that, that thought didn't work. It was something about the surprise. Somebody was surprised by something. Oh, okay. I love that there's so much uh, there's so much theorizing going on yes. about this movie. Yes. It's like lost. <laughs> it's much better this way. Yeah. Um, okay. But I just love that that, that, that was my new... That but some was... people were like, the dad fucking hired those guys. So that was my new takeaway from this movie, was that this, this wonderful scene at the end where the dad just can't even come up with even a fucking a second thing to say to his kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a relationship. Poor Kevin McAllister is going to have a fucked up life. Not only because he's been left at home. Now, the when he went goes to New York, it's kind of his. No, they they kind of fuck up that one too. They leave him. They get separated in the airport. And that, by the way, in that movie, the dad is really the fucking. He's like, oh, you got my bag, Kevin. Okay, and he's just like, fuck off. I don't care. <laughs> like, Bye. Maybe he'll get, like almost to the point where like, man, I hope my fucking drug stash in my bag gets caught, flagged at security, so he can get arrested and I can just leave him. Yes. Anyway, um. All right, well, that's Home Alone. I did want to mention that deleted scene, though. So Uncle Frank's a huge asshole, right? There is a disturbing deleted scene. You mean scenes. Kelsey Grammer? Yeah. The guy be, looks just like him. They wanted Kelsey Glamour, Grammer for the movie. Clearly. Of course, he's not going to... Why would Kelsey Grammer do this five-minute movie, but five-minute part? There's a deleted scene that's set at the beginning of the movie where, to further drive home that Uncle Frank's an asshole, he, like, sees Kevin in the... A, it's kind of a dark hallway, by the mm-hmm. way. And he's just like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to call you... Uh, Yank or something like it's the word for uh, yank. Yank. It's like that's going to be your French name. He's like yank. What the fuck? No, are you no. About? The joke goes. Uncle goes. Hey, uh, you you know what they call Kevin in uh, France? You know what they're going to call you? Uh huh. That's the line. And then he says yank. He pulls down his pants, exposes his boxers. Yeah, it's unbelievable. That is a sexual assault, in my opinion. That's disturbing. He's a darkened hallway and he's just pulling his fucking, his little nephew's pants down. And he like laughs. Yank? Yank? Uh Uh-uh. Not okay, Uncle Frank. That, he should get arrested. I mean, it's sort of, it could imply that there's been a history of sexual molestation happening there. Jesus Christ. That's kind of fucking creepy. I mean, I can see why it got deleted (laughs) out of the scene or out of the movie. Yeah, editors saw that and were like, nope. There are some bits with Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern that are actually pretty funny deleted scenes that are probably just for length. They just wanted to cut it out because it was too much before the crux of the movie happened. But they're funny. They're good in the movie. I, I I still like them. True. True, true. But Uncle Frank's fucking 
sexual deviant. Well, friends, if you have lasted all the way to the end of this podcast, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> okay, that's question number one. Question, question number one. two, if you've made it this far, you clearly are enjoying yourself. So go tell somebody, friend or foe, the to go listen to this podcast. Yeah, go on, uh, find us online at oldmillennialsremember.com. Find us on iTunes and any other of things. Your, any of your podcast apps. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, just uh, search for Old Millennials and you'll find us. If you like our show, rate us. That's something that people do, right? Yeah, they give reviews. Don't give us a low, like, if you don't like us, don't bother. Although, if you've stuck through this long, you clearly have enjoyed yourself, so that's on you. I don't think there's anybody left. Even your mom, even your, like, your mom didn't last through this episode. It's kind of <laughs> like when I listen to uh, Meditations to Fall Asleep. Uh-huh. It's like, people have fallen asleep, like, an hour and a half ago. I tried to go full circle with uh, the dad We have stuff. got to finish this before it's two hours. It's going to be too big of a file size to go on our website site all right guys so thanks so much for listening um happy holidays merry christmas make sure you lock your doors and don't leave your children at home alone get get a plate and uh we will talk at you another movie tell them to count their kids again